0: The following is a conversation with Ryan Hall, his second time in the podcast. He's one of the most innovative scholars of martial arts in the modern era. Quick mention of our sponsors Indeed Hiring Website, Audible Audiobooks, ExpressVPN, and Element Electrolyte Drink. Click the sponsor links to get a discount and to support this podcast. As a side note, let me say that I've gotten a chance to train with Ryan recently and to both discuss and try out on the mat his ideas about grappling and fighting. What struck me is his unapologetic drive to solve martial arts. It reminds me of the ambitious vision and effort of Google's deep mind to solve intelligence. In Ryan's case, this isn't some out there martial arts guru talk. This is a style of thinking about the game of human chess, of seeking to define the rules and to engineer ways from first principles of escaping the constraints of those rules. This style of thinking is rare, but is ultimately the one that leads to the discovery of new revolutionary ideas. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it anywhere or connect with me at Lex Friedman. And now is the part of the program where I do the advertisements. These are just a few minutes and I never do any in the middle. So if you want to skip, I give you timestamps, go ahead and skip. But please check out the sponsors by Click in the links in the description. It's honestly the best way to support this podcast. That said, I also try to keep these things interesting and actually say stuff off the top of my head. So if you enjoy a bit of chaos, or as uh, Tom Waite says, a drop of poison in your town, then uh, stick around for these ads. This episode is brought to you by Indeed, a hiring website. I've used them as part of many hiring efforts I've done for the teams I've led, the main task is to quickly go from a huge number of initial applicants to a short list of great candidates. I've actually been recently going through the hiring process for different positions related mostly to these kinds of uh, podcasts, video side pursuits that have gone on. One is a robotics engineer, the other is a virtual assistant, and perhaps most importantly, a video editor. I haven't made much progress on that yet, mostly because my to-do list has been insane. But let me say that I think in this and future hiring I do, and in myself as well, the thing I look for is not just kind of a base of skill. I think I mostly look for focused passion and the, uh, both the ability and the desire to work your ass off, to work hard for the things you're passionate about. And I think coupled with that, I'd like to see a self-regulated ability to work really hard towards the things you're passionate about without burning out, without wearing yourself out. And I think that's actually a really important skill. Some It comes naturally to some, for some they have to really develop it, but basically not allowing yourself to take any side paths that take you away from the things that brings you joy. And really being able to communicate and being able to self-motivate and direct your efforts in a way that's towards your passion even if it involves a lot of pain in the ass, repetitive steps along the way. But if it's towards your passion, you can still derive joy from it. So I think that's actually a skill. And that's, as David Foster Wallace said, you know, make sure that you're unborable by whatever task you choose. I think that what that really means is uh, having a perspective on the task you do that frames them in the context of the journey towards the things you're passionate about. Anyway, right now, get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Friedman. That's their best offer anywhere. Get it at Indeed.com slash Friedman. The offer is uh, valid through March 31st. The ad copy here says terms and conditions apply, whatever the heck that means. So go to Indeed.com slash Friedman. If you can figure out how to spell that, you deserve all of the career success you can ever wish for. This episode is also brought to you by Audible, an audiobook service that has given me hundreds, if not thousands, probably thousands, of hours of education through listening to audiobooks. Many of the books I mentioned on this podcast were ones I've listened to with Audible. Examples include The Ascent of Money by Neil Ferguson, Your Inner Fish by Neil Shubin, The New Czar by Stephen Lee Myers, and of course, the book that I've mentioned many times, maybe too many times, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Shire. I think it's over 50 hours long and one hell of a crazy ride to the darkest moments of human history. Audible is testing this podcast. So given how much I love them, if you're on the fence, now is the time to sign up if you want to support this podcast. So go dear friends to audible.com/lex or text lex to 500500 500, or send a carrier pigeon with a love poem. The best approach is to uh, go to audible.com slash Lex. The best approach is probably to go to audible.com slash Lex. Remember, they're considering supporting us, so you know what to do. Audible.com slash Lex. This show is also sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's a good tool to shake up the asymmetry of power in the battle for free speech from the corporations to the individual. One of the things I really love about America is the emphasis on freedom. It's like before you even consider the issue, consider the debate, the different sides, the pros and cons, you err on the side of freedom. So just like it's innocent until proven guilty, it's uh, go with freedom until you can figure out otherwise. And what it turns out to be is freedom usually is the right answer. Now, of course, terminology starts coming into play and people start to manipulate words and manipulate terminology to gain their own ends. But at the end, freedom wins. And in the digital space, especially from the consumer perspective, one of the things that gives the individual power is the control over their data. And that's where a VPN really can help out. Go to expressvpn.com slash lexpod to get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash lexpod. They have a giant red button that's easy to use. I've used them for many years and I love it. This episode is also brought to you by Element Electrolyte Drink Mix, spelled L-M-N-T, but pronounced element. To do low-carb diets correctly, the number one thing, I think at least, you have to get right is electrolytes, specifically sodium, potassium, and magnesium. That's where Element Drink really helps me out. By the way, Tim Dillon, a comedian, a podcaster who I love very much, on a recent podcast mentioned that he went to dinner with me. In fact, he did. Uh, He made fun of me a little bit, which I both deserve and am honored by. But he mentioned that I ate some pasta. It was an Italian restaurant that I ate some pasta. That is fake news. You can call me all kinds of things, but I did not eat any carbs in that dinner. I ate only meat, and it was delicious. It was steak. I will not stand for the spread of misinformation. Anyway, Tim is awesome. You should uh, definitely check out his podcast. And I'm actually joking. I don't, I don't really care. I love it when he makes fun of me or even makes stuff up about me. I never, ever want to take myself too seriously. And people like Tim Dillon, friends like Tim Dillon are essential for that. Anyway, uh, Olympians use Element. Tech people use it. I swear by this stuff. Try it at element.com slash lex. That's com slash lex. And now... Here's my conversation with Ryan Hall. You're known as a systems thinker in martial arts, but you also, I think are willing to think outside the rules of the game, outside of the system. When you're thinking about strategies of how to you know, solve the problem, particular problem of an opponent, whether that's jiu-jitsu or in mixed martial arts, what's your process for doing that, for figuring out that puzzle? I would say I don't
1: know if I have a specific like A to B to C process for that sort of thing. Um, I try to do my best to... Uh, appreciate that. I think a lot of the thinking, um, or maybe not all the thinking, but a lot of great thinking on conflict, on battle, on war, on martial arts has been done already. Um, not that we don't have to do any sort of uh background investigation or reassessing of these ideas or axioms that have come down through things like the book of five rings or the art of war, or, you know, like von Klausewitz, even anything like that really, but is, uh, it, we're trying to understand the, the lessons of the past that I think oftentimes we, we don't take with us, um, problems on, we pay lip service and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a victorious fighter, uh, the great fighter, uh, you know, he knows victory is there. Then he, then he, then he seeks battle. Everyone else is looking for victory in battle. Yeah. Moving on. And that's why I'm going to double jab and throw my left hand. And, uh, I think a lot of times our actions don't reflect our stated belief structure And I think that oftentimes you can tell what I believe really or what my fundamental operating system is based on my actions, whether I'm aware. I have an operating system internally, whether I'm aware of it or not, or certainly whether I'm fully aware of it. So I guess uh, when it comes to strategy, I I try to think about how things interact. You mentioned systems thinking, and I I try to do my best to understand how systems exist, but I think that systems have a fundamental strength and a fundamental weakness. They work how they work, and that's great, um, but they're readable. So if you are aware, if I am operating on a system, uh, of which you're, you're not really read into, then I, I think oftentimes I can seem like y- shockingly effective, particularly if my system preys on certain weaknesses, uh, that, that maybe you are, uh, you're given to, but what happens when you've read the same books that I have? I, I think that a lot of times that makes me deeply predictable. I think about systems in jujitsu, you know, and, uh, a lot of times people think that they're doing jujitsu when in reality they are doing an expression of it. Let's say I'll use, there's the Marcelo Garcia system. There is the, uh, Henzo Gracie current Henzo Gracie system. There's the old Gracie Baja one. There's, uh, you know, the Gracie Academy classic Gracie jujitsu. There's the art of jujitsu, um, you know, kind of Otto's approach. And, you know, there's some crossover between a lot of these, but, uh, oftentimes I think, um, you know, when it comes to understanding how i'm making decisions and how my opponent is making decisions i have to appreciate whether or not i'm an end user of something and i'll use my my phone as an example um i was thinking of this the other day and as an end user of my phone i can't i have no idea what it does you know like edward snowden comes up and goes hey guys you realize your phones are listening to you i'm like really what yeah all right i believe you and then of course that that comes out but uh to what extent i have no idea um what is my phone capable of i have no idea I can mess with the font though. I really like blue screens, not purple screens. So like as an end user, I can change some of the bells and whistles that have nothing to do with the underlying source code of it all or how it functions. The same way in my car, I'm an end user of my car. If I do this with the uh, steering wheel, it goes. If I push on the gas, it goes. Um, if I, yeah, I know how to fix it when it's out of gas. I know how to fix it when it's out of oil. And I, I know how to fix it, you know, when uh when a flat tire comes. But short of that, or actually beyond that, I have nothing. So I think that oftentimes... Um, you know, I've been around in Jitsu long enough to encounter like a new wave of of like good grapplers. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very interesting sometimes how they're running systems they don't realize they're running. Like I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I trained at Marcelo Garcias Academy for a long time, you know, and a big fan of Marcelo's, was a student there, uh, encountered a lot of the the Otto style jiu Jitsu a number of years ago. Uh, been you know a very, very you know, deep into foot locking and leg attacks and whatnot for a long, long time. I understand your system better than you do, or I may. And let's say you understand my system better than I do. That would be a huge issue. That was something that I encountered a long time ago trying to come up in jiu-jitsu where I was trying to utilize systems that were created by, let's say, Hoffa Mendez or someone else. And I'm basically trying to do what you're doing. I'm just not doing as good of a version of it. So not only am I not doing it well, but I'm entirely predictable. And I think that that can be a big issue. So to come back, I think of systems a lot of times now in terms of, you know, particularly like end user type of systems, like mm-hmm. uh, an iPhone is a really, really fast way for me to be able to do all sorts of things.
0: Mm-hmm. If you were to take it from me, I I couldn't recreate any of that. So um, you want to be more the NSA and less the end user.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That way, that way I'm listening to you. want to be you the NSA know, of combat. Well, that's right. We're watching you But basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, I guess what I would, what I would come back and say is, uh. If you understand how things interact on a fundamental level and what type of games exist and what type of interactions exist, then you can transcend a lot of the, uh, the systems. It's almost like a cook versus if I can make certain things in the kitchen, I can, but I am not a chef. You could give me a bunch of ingredients and I could probably cook not well, but a couple of different things, but a, a master chef, you know, would be aware of the implications of all of the things that they're doing, you know, extra time in the oven, less time in the oven. Putting this, you know, flavoring or spice in, you know, what you're doing with various things, and also they could make, they could turn all of these ingredients into Chinese food, or they could turn all these ingredients into Italian food, and they could turn all these Italian food ingredients into chicken parmesan or it could turn into lasagna. But they're not limited to a specific thing because they have knowledge of how food interacts, how, how what it does to create taste, what it does to create texture. So to come back, let's take rock paper scissors. Rock paper scissors is built on the idea of a couple different things. Actually, I'll tell you what. Can I? May may ask you a question. Yeah, what's your favorite dinosaur? On the same on three, we'll go one, two, three. T Rex. T Rex. Oh, me too. No, we're, man, this is we're gonna be best friends. So uh, it's okay. Uh, if so, what's the first question when you say, "Hey, let's play rock paper scissors"? It's like, "Hey, is it rock paper scissors, or rock paper scissors shoot?" And you're like, "Rock paper scissors shoot." And you're like, "Okay," because if we go rock paper, scissors, shoot. And I'm like, oh man, I, I got lucky and I won. Imagine mm-hmm. I won a hundred times in a row.
0: Yeah,
1: i would be luck, it'd be luck if, if I was honestly doing that. But now let's say, for instance, I go on rock, paper, scissors and you go on shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Mm-hmm. Here comes the rock, right? Yeah. If you lose, whose fault is it? It's yours. This is built on a parody thing where the, the, we, I don't get to pick second. If I get to pick second, it's like being able to investigate your background before going to meet you and then I'm like, "Oh, hi. Oh, I too love the New Jersey, you know, the New Jersey Nets," which is a statement that no one in their right mind would ever make when I was growing up. So anyway, you'd have to have personal knowledge of somebody. So anyway, to come back, let's you're a, if if you understand how games are structured, th- you can start to realize that there's huge gaps and huge holes in a lot of the the thinking behind all of it. And if you can create the illusion of choice, I'll play one more, if you don't mind. This is one of my favorite ones. I do this in class all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, have you seen this before? No. Okay. Um, may I ask you some questions, please? Sure. Okay, fantastic. I'm scared. Oh, there's, everybody wins. Don't worry. Um, all right. So could you, could you please- <laughs> uh, I win. Uh, could you please pick three fingers and tell uh, me what they are?
0: Uh, your thumb. Okay. Your uh, pinky. Okay. And your middle finger. Okay. So could you please pick uh, two fingers? Your middle finger and your pinky. Okay,
1: could you please pick one finger?
0: Uh I'll go with the middle finger.
1: Woohoo. Okay, could you please pick one finger? Oh uh, pinky. Okay. Let's play again. Can you yeah. pick one finger, please?
0: <laughs> uh your middle finger. <laughs>
1: okay. Can you pick one finger, please?
0: Your thumb. Yeah, your pinky. Okay, now pick uh two more fingers, please your uh, middle finger and your uh, ring finger. Okay. Could you please pick one more finger? Damn it. So, I thought that enhanced the illusion of choice. It's the illusion of choice.
1: If I'm asking the questions, provided I ask the right questions, there can be no correct answer. Doesn't mean that you, I mean ultimately if if that's what you wanted, let's say you like I thought I was guiding you to something I wanted that turns out that was the outcome you wanted. Well, let's, now let's. Here's now I'm going to ask the wrong questions. I might not get what I want. Oh, so,
0: oh, by by the way, sorry to interrupt. Uh, for people that might be just listening to this, that uh, no matter what trajectory we took through that decision tree that Ryan was presenting, it was always ending up with a middle finger. Ironically enough, I, so, I was surprised.
1: So, and
0: all of us were surprised, and it, we're it, both winners.
1: Yeah, if we all, everyone. I, here.
0: I felt like a winner.
1: All right, so now, now I'm going to now I'll, I'll ask some different and questions if you, you don't mind. Mickey. Uh, can you please pick two fingers to put down?
0: Uh, your middle finger and your pinky. Or like...
1: <laughs> oh, That's so awkward. That's like the worst finger <laughs> positions. Okay. Can you please pick? Oh, wait a minute. That's, oh, hold on. Yeah. Well, what if you pick two other fingers to put down? Uh, your thumb and your pinky. Okay. My thumb and my pinky. Can you please pick two fingers to put down?
0: Well. Whatever you're... two you like. Okay, your uh middle finger and your pointy finger. Ah. Okay, can you pick two fingers to put down? What's the name is index finger. Index finger. Why Why did I point, call point, it the pointy point, finger. Point, it's pointy one.
1: That's the one we usually point. It's weird to point with the ring finger.
0: Uh, uh sorry, what put oh, it, two more to put down, please? Uh the middle finger and the ring finger. Ah, man. Yeah.
1: Is it what if you pick my my ring finger and my index finger?
0: yeah Uh-huh. Yeah, right. woohoo.
1: I win, yeah, so even though I'm asking the questions, it's not impossible that I arrive yeah. at a good outcome for me, but it's it's no longer guaranteed. I went from a situation where I literally can't lose, yeah, it's pretty low but, probability yeah. right, super low probability, and the second you realize what I'm doing, you would never let me win, yeah. because the ball's truly in your court, so I guess that that's kind of what I'm fundamentally trying to put into play almost all the time. Can I ask the right set of questions? Can I develop the ability? um skills wise understanding wise and then discipline wise and then have the courage and the constitution and the and the discipline necessary the patience necessary to ask the proper questions and wait for the proper answers and if i can all th- assuming like the perfect world i win period uh yeah so does that the, make sense
0: yeah it totally makes sense so i don't know if you know sort of the more mathematical discipline of game theory There's something called mechanism design. Hmm. So game theory is this field where you model some kind of interaction between human beings. You can model grappling that way. You can uh, model nuclear conflict between nations that way. And uh, you set up a set of rules and incentives and then use math to predict uh, what is the likely outcome depending over time based on the interaction given those rules. Mechanism design is the design of games. So like the design of systems that are likely to lead to a certain outcome. And so what you're suggesting is you want to create, you want to discover systems whose decision tree, all the possible things that could happen, feel like there's choice being made but ultimately one of the parties doesn't have any choice in what the actual final outcome is uh you're making them feel like they're playing a game too so it's not like you don't feel trapped it's kind of like <laughs> well the best traps
1: i don't you don't look very threatening so i'm like oh i'll walk over there i guess wouldn't that i guess that's kind of an interesting thing if a lion st- when does a lion roar it's an interesting thing when you watch like lions hunting don't roar when they hunt they want to when they want to move you back they do stuff like that when they actually want to come and get you they're pretty slinky it's like water covered. it's like furry water yeah and and i guess like when you keep that in mind um it's funny how like uh, for us a hobby actually you know brilliant guy like uh one of my mma coaches and head coach at tristar um he brought this up one time i thought it was a really salient point he said let's say we have a million person bracket it was yeah. impossibly huge like frank duke's winning the kumite level huge bracket he claimed to knock out like 250 consecutive people and you're like that is all of hong kong <laughs> yeah. was in that thing and everyone kept their mouth shut yeah. but anyway that's uh, pretty cool but uh to cut to come back uh, a little improbable but pretty cool um so let's say for instance like there's no cheating going on no cheating going on and we're flipping coins right Someone is going to have an unbroken string of victory through that bracket, which is pretty insane. How many, how many consecutive like toss ups this person won? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it all, imagine we like aliens show up and we go, "Hey, they want to flip a coin for whether or not Earth, whether or not Earth, uh, you know, gets to gets to continue." They'd be like, "Oh, I'll do it. I'm good at this." <laughs> Yeah. That would be tempting as a person to to do. You're like, well, I'm a lucky guy. Well, you're like, are are you sure? Maybe I mean, maybe effectively you are. We could argue that effectively you're incredibly lucky. But basically, uh, is that an actual ability? Is that like a perk in a video game, or is that just this thing that happened? So anyway, uh, how many times are someone you could go through an entire career, you know, particularly in a fight sport. Well, let's say you get 15 knockouts in 15 toss-up scenarios because you see that happening all the time in the fight game, a toss-up scenario. It's not like you're mounted on me and and, like—and that's not a toss-up scenario. Many, 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 many striking scenarios. A lot of grappling ones, but tons of striking scenarios are dead toss-ups. And uh, somebody wins by knockout. They win five times in a row. Then they lose a couple times in a row and we go, what happened? You're like, what do you mean what happened? They were always flipping the coin. And then they win five more and they go, ah, back on track. Can you imagine that? You're flipping a coin. I'm like, heads, 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 tails. What? Tails, tails, heads again. Oh man, I'm back on it. I'm flipping good now. That's basically what's going on. I think the vast majority of the time and then humanity's, you know, tendency to see a sign in almost anything, you know, starts to present itself. And then we build a narrative in our mind to, to convince ourselves that we're in some sort of control. When in reality, I was in a marginal situation at best
0: the whole time yeah without having much control without having a deep understanding of the system the same story is told the stock market with many of the human these distributed human systems we start telling narratives and start seeing patterns without understanding actually the system that's generating these patterns. So if we can see the system, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. But then you go, well, what system is
1: above all of the systems? And I guess maybe physics, maybe something, like game theory explains these things. But like, I guess what are the what aspects of the system can I can I put my hands on that I can touch and understand? Yeah. And what am I what am I missing? What what what's going on in the world all around me to continue to lean on on Dune that I don't have. Uh, <laughs> That I don't, you know, you talk to a blind person about, about the world, about the sight, and you talk to someone that doesn't have everyone who's got coronavirus now, so no one can taste or smell. They're like, this is delicious. I'm like, is it? So, yeah. anyway, uh, you know, again, what, what senses am I missing or what understanding am I missing that's preventing me from seeing the dots connect in the world all around me? And I think sometimes if we uh, oftentimes, at least personally, I've screwed this up a lot. I'm so nose deep in the, in the trench of trying to understand what I'm doing that I can't take a step back and realize, you know, that I'm in a forest, not just head, headbutting a tree. And I may be doing both, maybe both two things should be true at once. But, uh, so I would say when it comes to strategy, trying to understand that, but then also you go, well, okay, well, how can, that sounds cool, but how can you actually do that? And then I'd say that's a really good question because if I imagine I say, man, I should fight like Steven Thompson. I should fight like Wonder Boy. He's like, good idea. Go do that. I'm like, I'm ah, not thinking not the guy. I would fight like Khabib Nurmagomedov if I could. You know, It seems to work. So anyway, uh, you go, well, what if I could develop, what if I could take my time developing skills so that when these strategies become apparent that you are, they are executable to you, mm-hmm. you actually have the ability to like, in or to, again, to be the person in the arena, to be the person required. Whereas there's plenty of great ideas, like dunking a basketball is a fantastic idea. <laughs> Alas, for me, unless there's a small trampoline nearby, I'm not the guy. But that doesn't make it any less good of an idea. I just don't, I haven't developed the ability or or I lack the ability. So anyway, I, I think a lot of times, at least when I watch people in fighting, I'll use an example, um, We're so con- we're so concerned with trying to win early on rather than develop skills that I'm going like, well, what's the best way to fight with my current set of skills? And usually the the path forward is like the barbarian route, like the you put on the one ring, take the damage you need to take to hit that guy. And that was something I realized very early on in my MMA career was like I'm not that good at striking at that time. I'm not a world class striker now, but I'm way better at striking than i'm giving any credit for because it helps people sleep at night i think but um (laughs) i'm serious but uh um
0: yeah yeah you're always introduced as like this master like master grappler i'm
1: like that's nice of them to say that maybe i'm not that good at grappling we haven't even seen that and but the funny thing is i'm like just because people almost go like well lex like so you're really good at this, but you gotta understand, like if we're equal, man. Like I'm good at this other thing. Maybe you're really good at what you do, and I'm just mediocre at what I do. That's yeah. also possible. So there's plenty of people that define themselves as a striker that do that just because that's for lack of other options, not because they're a really good striker or yeah. like I'm a grappler, I was a grappler as a blue belt. Not really. So anyway, I guess to come back, uh if, if if I'm constantly going, how can I win with what I've got right now? I think oftentimes I never take the time to develop the skills that I want to develop. And I also never take the time to develop the strategies that I want to develop. And that has actually been one big blessing of uh fighting so infrequently, which has been really frustrating as a result of injuries and uh, time away and you know, some of those people being hesitant to get in the game. But uh, it gives you so much time to to be out of the trenches and focus on developing your abilities so that now it's almost like developing money, like you mentioned, the stock market that you can now put in. Mm-hmm. Imagine you told me Bitcoin was a great idea five years ago and I had eight bucks. Man, if someone told me Bitcoin was a great idea five years ago and I had you know, 50K, I'd be like... Oh my god! I'd be sleeping in my bed of money that I would then set on fire later so today just to do it.
0: So all the due to all the injuries, you've been mining Bitcoin all this time, and now you're a rich man. Well, no, actually, someone told me on. I was trying to mine for Bitcoin, actually,
1: like in a cave. Mm-hmm. And then I found out recently that it's actually mining is like a, a figure of speech,
0: you not like a literal thing that
1: you do. This but I mean, in my defense, English I don't know what I
0: language do. is difficult. It is. It really is. Next time, talk it's to, to me. When you're I'll stupid. explain. In R- <laughs> Russian is more uh, is is a rich language. You should learn. You shouldn't learn Russian. I'll help you out. I believe you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Can you do a whirlwind overview of uh, your career in MMA leading up to this point with the injuries and the undefeated record? And then what's next? That's um, we're on the topic.
1: Well, I, I did my first fight in a, as a blue belt, and I've been training for about a year and a half. I did 9 uh jiu-jitsu tournaments in 10 weekends, or eight, maybe eight jiu-jitsu tournaments in 10 weekends prior to my first fight in a... April 2006, um, I got punched in the face a whole bunch. I didn't realize it was a professional fight and found that out like the day beforehand. That was great. Thanks, coach. Uh, It was in Atlantic City, where another place no one ever goes on purpose. So that wasn't great. I got into three, actually three car accidents in the preceding 36 hours before the fight. I had my car totaled. Um, I wasn't driving for any of them. That was great uh it was 2006 2006 yeah and then
0: you're i you're a blue belt uh
1: yeah yeah i've been training for
0: about a year and a half to so blue belt you're getting i, I mean uh, if you haven't lived if you haven't gotten punched in the face in atlantic city
1: that's true i mean i <laughs>
0: so these are <laughs> i
1: would have I loved to have it happen for different reasons yeah but uh yeah well what's funny is you know i i remember you know getting punched in the face a bunch trying to do inverted guard i won one round lost two rounds definitely lost the fight so you up, went
0: for inverted, sorry to interrupt, you went for inverted guard, like can you tell yeah, the story of that fight oh, real quick? Yeah,
1: sure. It was three three-minute rounds, which is not a professional fight length, although I don't know if professional fight length would have been any better. It's just more time to get punched. <laughs> uh, but, uh... I found out part way through, I was like, I remember walking back to my corner in the first round. I'm like, yeah, this guy can't hurt me. And he's like, yeah, my, my corner was my friend, Tom, and then someone else. And he's like, yeah, I, I would still encourage you to stop blocking so many punches with your face. I'm like, yeah, it's a good idea, Tom. I appreciate that. I'm going to yeah. try that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I remember like I was not you're not allowed to up kick. So I'm like, great. I was I, was, I had no martial arts skills, it, it really, at all. But if I had anything at all, it was jiu-jitsu. It was very, very little jiu-jitsu. Uh, but definitely no wrestling. Definitely no striking. Uh, like I was basically a magnet for
0: punches. So that was your time, uh, that was you cool. know, roughnecking out in Atlantic City, as we all do once in a while. Can we fast forward to when you're actually dominating the oh, world sorry. as a black belt? Well, actually, it's and funny because
1: then- I took a little bit of money that I, they're like, "Hey, we are paying I'm Like, really? It's okay. Like Bukowski well, I took that money- stories
0: with Ryan Hall. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, then I went to I went to the casino. I went to whatever, like the Tropicana that was right there, the casino, because that was a boardwalk hall. I'm like, you know what, man? This was this has been a not great, not great evening. I'm gonna uh, this is I'm gonna win it back. It's gonna be great. Fifteen minutes later, they had all the money that I had from the fight was gone. Yeah, I just remember like walking out of the casino, super pissed, and like I don't know what I was thinking. Like I'm not good at gambling. Why this was not going to make my night better? I just thought that there was going to be some sort of cosmic balancing, and maybe it was the cosmic balancing all at once with things I'd done in the longer
0: term, though. Yeah, the 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 balancing. We'll see. I hope so. But to come, we're all dead in the end, though.
1: That is true. Time will get us all. Yeah. (laughs) So well, that was so that was the first one, and that was when I realized. I'm terrible at MMA, but I like it. I should just stop this until I one day learn how to actually grapple, much less learn how to fight. But I remember there's this guy named Dave Kaplan who's the reason my ears are all messed up, who was uh, on The Ultimate Fighter and got punched in the face and knocked out by Tom Lawler, who I'll always appreciate for doing that. Um, but uh anyway, uh Dave or Tom? Uh I appreciate Tom. I appreciate Dave too. Dave Dave was great. Dave was just a huge bully and used to like Really, not completely unmercifully, but relatively unmercifully, beat the crap out of me. And uh, anyway, um, well, the ears look good, so I appreciate that. I tell people it's a tumor that I got, and I'm gonna. If they want in on our class action lawsuit with AT and T, they should, you know, <laughs> send send me an email. <laughs> but
0: uh, anyway, well, you're very financially savvy.
1: I, I, very good. No, I, I just give the impression. Dave basically said, "Hey, don't worry, man. You're never going to be good at MMA, and mm-hmm. you're never going to be good at grappling either. But even if you are good at grappling, which, in my opinion, you will never be." Yeah. You will never be good at fighting. And I said, Dave, if I do nothing else in my life, I'm going to keep training until I can make you pay for that. And now that I nice. can make him pay for that really easily, he doesn't train anymore. But I love Dave. <laughs> Dave's awesome. He actually won the singing beat. What an interesting dude. Yeah. Super interesting guy. But anyway, uh, guy? Uh, none of the uh, Virginia, like, speaks okay. a couple languages. Super interesting guy. Like, shockingly good at Jeopardy, too. Hmm. Um, yeah, not that I'm any good, but still shockingly good at Jeopardy! So, anyway, years later, met Faraz hobby Actually, John Danaher, um, I met John Danaher and he put me in touch with Faraz hobby I started training at TriStar, I, you know, immediately loved uh working with Faraz and learning under Faraz. Started training at TriStar and I did my first real professional MMA fight, um, as someone that actually does had practiced a little bit prior, uh, in I think August 2012. Hmm. Um, and uh that was uh, against a guy he was four and five at the time so you know had some experience um good kind of like first go for me honestly and i won that fight by tko and then it was a little bit of uh, time off and then i did another fight against a tough guy named uh, magic hamo um he was five and two at the time i think he was three and i was amateur so he had a good good little bit of fighting experience um won that one in the first round uh via rear naked choke and then uh nice. Started to experience difficulty getting getting fights at, at that point. Um, you know,
0: were well, you I, continuously introduced as like the, the the master of grappling, the submission?
1: At least that was that was my thing. If I don't know if is, I was, is but, that
0: was the source of the fear for people? You I, think? I
1: think so because I mean, I definitely wasn't much at striking at that point. You know, I definitely am a lot. I'd like to think I'm pretty hard to hurt, although I try not to lean on that. And I played baseball for like sixteen years, so I can hit things pretty hard. I just. Mm-hmm. Wasn't able to. Uh, I I recognized pretty early on that I had no idea how to actually hit things hard without becoming hittable myself. So I, I think that's kind of the big thing is uh, a lot of times, like we almost were mentioning uh, before, if you try to go and get people too early, you can hit them if they're not that good, but you're going to get hit yourself. So you're making, you're basically making a wager, you're making a trade of your own life for the ability to hit them. When you watch guys like Israel Adesanya, Floyd Mayweather, Stephen Thompson, Uh, conor mcgregor when he's fighting really well it's not a trade they're not you're hitting them and they're hitting you it's they're hitting you but it takes years and years and years and years to be able to learn how to do that ton lee is another great example of that and you know my closest training partner one of my best friends and uh currently now uh one champion, uh one championship in uh in Asia, the champion of the uh featherweight, or I guess lightweight featherweight, um, one fifty-five uh over there now. And he recently defeated uh, Martin Wynn in a really great fight. And uh Tan knocked him out, longtime champion. And Tan doesn't let you hit him. He doesn't let you touch him. I feel so fortunate to have met guys like Steven and Tan to go early on in career and go, holy moly, I can't even, it's not even like, oh, you'll let me walk over and find you. Mm -hmm. It's like fighting a ghost that periodically shows up with a hammer and smokes you in the melon and then disappears into the ether again.
0: So the way they approach the fighting game is thinking, how can I attack without being hit? So every, every strategy, every idea you have about what you're going to do has to do with uh like, that uh, minimizing the the, the, the returns. Yeah, Abs- return.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's
0: what all good fighting
1: is done. All poor fighting, if you know, throughout the course of history, most generals, whatever I saw, I read, or, you know, they they did battles by attrition. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, man, I've got 150 guys, you've got 50. Like, yeah, if 60 of my guys die killing your 50, like, that's great for me. Yeah, But uh, that's not so great for the 60 guys that died. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hope it's worth it. So when you realize that not only, you're not just Kobe Bryant, and you're Phil Jackson too, you got to do everything you know, if, if you've got to run across the beach in Normandy, so be it. But that better be, you should have, we make sure we thought this through and there's like, hey, there's no way we can like, you know, walk around the side, huh? Because oftentimes there there is, and I, I think a lot of times there's a lot of incentives in professional fighting to for people to want to do that. And we come up with all sorts of, well, I'm trying to be exciting. Are you? Is that really what you came here to do? Because I came here to win. And I think that, anyone that that's really successful came there to win. And if it ends up being exciting, well, that's fantastic. I hope that people enjoy watching something and that's great, but that's a qualitative assessment. Anyway, you know, you want to also be able to, you know, live the rest of your life. I think it's easy. You know, I'll use Meldrick Taylor. I'm a big boxing fan. Meldrick Taylor is an excellent fighter. Um, came this close, uh, to a world title and was stopped with like, he was in a fight that he was winning with, seconds remaining literally seconds remaining and they probably could have just let it go and he would have been world champion and it was brutal if you ever watch legendary nights like uh hbo boxing show it's it's great but um it's heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking and also like the beating that he absorbed in that fight changed him for the rest of his life and also you know don't think he'd never been hit before but it was one of those where you go it's it's all fun and games until you can't remember your name at age 44 years old and I didn't come here. What did what did Patton say? Nobody, nobody wins the war by dying for his country. You make the other poor bastard die for his. And yeah. uh, I think that that's kind of what we're shooting for. And you know, the lionization of absorbing damage and that not being a big deal. Like you hear that all the time. So and so can take shots that would put a lesser fighter down. What does that even mean? Yeah. You know, like let's so let me get this straight. Your ability to absorb damage is a part of you. I mean, I guess that don't get me wrong, that is an attribute that's nice to have if you if you need it. But yeah. there's plenty of people that actually have really porous defense that are just very very difficult to hurt for whatever reason.
0: That's a fascinating fighter's perspective on the thing. I mean, the 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 story that is inspiring and I know it goes against the artistry of fighting is when you have taken the damage to still rise up. And be able to defeat the opponent. It's so it's uh but that th- that's a flip side of a basically you failing to defend yourself properly, right? I agree.
1: But let's say for, I think it's, it's a triumph, that's a triumph of, your, of humanity. That's yeah. a triumph, that's amazing. It's, to witness such a thing is unbelievable. Yeah. But you still go, this is, there is a cost here. It's like I've been fortunate enough to spend some time working with with the military and I've been like around and read Medal of Honor citations. They're unbelievable. Like you read the story and you're like,
0: it'll floor you. But But, it's still a cost and you don't want to be paying that cost all the long time. And
1: most of the time, the cost was everything. And then sometimes you go, hey, yeah, the the value here, it's worth everything. It's like, I defend your family, defend your country under certain circumstances and at that point, it's extension of your family. You're like, hey, this is worth it. To casually throw your life away or throw your health away. It's foolish. There's nothing there's nothing great about that. And and like you said, it's still an amazing
0: thing to see. Yeah. But But it's also amazing to see. You not take damage is The Floyd Mayweather. It's the artistry of like not being hit. And I wonder if maybe that's why people don't resonate
1: with Floyd as much. Just obviously, Muhammad Ali was such a time and place, a great man for so many different reasons. Although it was funny to remember like there were times when he wasn't very popular. We love him now because of time of context, you know, time to move away from some of the nonsense he had to deal with. But uh, we got to see him struggle. And also he had unbelievable sacrifice both in and out of the ring, you know, that that we all got to witness. We've never really seen Floyd struggle like that. And granted, obviously Floyd isn't like a civil rights figure like uh, Muhammad Ali was. It's a different time, different place, and he's a different man. But basically, uh, you know, I wonder if part of the thing that made us, that made everyone think of Muhammad Ali as the greatest, in addition to, of course, the unbelievable things that he did out in the world um, and the stands that he made, we saw him struggle in the ring. It's it's almost it's humanizing. You know, it's yeah. it's weird when you people the
0: person, yeah. people but-
1: respect B, but again, it's we saw GSP lose. And GSP came back stronger. Khabib is amazing, yeah. but I wonder—I wonder how people will feel about him long term. Not like they won't think of him as amazing and great, and he's been a respectable person and champion. But uh, the time we, he hasn't—he hasn't had to fall, yeah.
0: if that makes sense. And also coupled with uh, Ali had a, a a way of being poetic about sort of the way he was in the ring, sort of being able to explain the artistry that he's. I mean, he's, there's like joking as being playful, but Really, he was able to describe the, uh, the float like a butterfly, thing like a bee. Like he was able to actually talk about his strategy without talking, without crossing that line into the Floyd Mayweather when you're just talking about money and and just talking shit. That's true. Actually, Conor McGregor when he's not talking shit is pretty good at like talking about the art of the martial, like the first guy. And I wish Khabib did the same. Actually, uh, from uh, like the Setia brothers, there's a few, there's a culture of like being poetic about like being scholars and also uh bards or whatever, poets of the game. And Khabib is more like just simple and he lets his actions speak, which is, is great too. Toting in its own way, yeah, it's great, but it's nice when you can tell stories, and uh, you know, that, that that's probably why Ali was the great catch me up to you went to three fights i think undefeated yep bj penn you, we talked about last time you defeated bj penn that's a that's a i mean that's an incredible uh accomplishment you. but you fought a lot of really tough guys um when was your last fight and then catch me up with the injuries <sighs> well and a lot of people kept more and more and more were unwilling to fight you
1: Yeah, that's been, that's, that was why I was out for two
0: years following the Gray Maynard fight
1: between, uh, the fighting Gray, um, and BJ and the Gray Maynard fight was actually one I'm really proud of because, um, Gray was very tough. He's very big, very strong, very experienced. I had only five fights at the time. Um, and I didn't have a lot of skills. I don't get to fight Gray with what I have today. I had to fight Gray with what I had in December, 2016. And that I, it really took a lot of discipline, a lot of focus, a lot of challenge, you know, to stay the course, to do what I needed to do in that fight and to win in, in ultimately dominating fashion, just not in the dominating obvious sense that you see when someone runs across and just does that to somebody, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't on the list for me at that time, you know, so, um, that was a that was an interesting one, but the time away again was very frustrating. That was incredibly difficult for before Humpur. that fight. But, uh, after? after that fight, the well, because I uh met, I beat uh, Artem Lobov in the final of the Ultimate Fighter, and Artem is another guy that's tough, a lot of experience, yeah. and uh gets gets, you know, he he's, he's a funny guy, and he said some things on the internet, so and he gets a lot of heat for that. But uh, you know, he just knocked out three of my teammates. I'm like he put a couple people in a pretty rough shape at the end of that. So he was doing well, and that was a tough fight again. If I got to go back and fight that fight now, it would be not competitive at all. I mean, it wasn't competitive at that time, but it it was a phase. It wasn't close, but it was competitive. So you were Um,
0: improving and growing fast.
1: Yeah, and it was nice to have time away. I wish I'd have more time in the ring, but again, I'd only been doing MMA for three years at that time.
0: So the Um, uh, improvement from doing what the Bitcoin mining was over... uh, Overriding the
1: ring rust, I think so. I don't really believe in ring rust. If I'm honest, you know, I I can understand why uh, you know people could feel a certain way. But if anything, it's almost like you just kind of forget what competitions like, and you realize like, oh, you feel butterflies or something like that, and you go, oh my god, this is different versus no, that's just your body getting ready to perform. It's okay, it's normal.
0: How do you not have ring rust? I I think I try
1: to. I try to practice performing no matter what. Uh, You know, like whether it's singing karaoke and I'm not very good, but like anything you name it, talking in front of people, like you
0: embrace the butterflies.
1: Um, yeah, it, it's, it's almost like, I remember my last fight, I'm just staring at the wall and I'm like, huh, I guess, I guess I'm going to fight in a couple minutes. Right. Hey, you, you, I mean, of course we all heard the phrase, like you can never walk in the same river twice because even if you are this, even if the river's the same, you're a different man. That's Uh. I think it's a really important thing to understand because at various points in my martial arts career of thought, oh man, how should I feel? I remember when I used to do well in competition, I would feel, I would think these thoughts, listen to this song, think, think about this. I would feel a certain way. And then if you don't feel that way, I would start to become stressed because uh, I I was self-inflicted versus going, you'll feel how you feel. Your job is to show up with what you have on the day, do your absolute best. It's like, I will never quit. I can be sure of that. I didn't say I can't be beat. I, I can definitely be beat. I could have lost every single fight that I've ever had, but- I control my effort and I control my attitude, and that's I will, you know, I, I will do my very best execute my game plan. And the event's not working. If I have to, I'll put my hands up and walk dead forward. If I need to, at somebody, I, you know, we hope that that's not where it goes. But you know, you, like again, that humanizing moment where you're shooting for like just the the inner, like the inner, you sacrifice the outer, and all you have left is will, and you hope it doesn't happen. But if it does, you'll be there. But I guess to come back, like the extra periods of time, um, in between fights, I think was uh, valuable because it was, it was deeply challenging. It was incredibly, it was, it was heartbreaking sometimes if I'm honest, man. It's like, I didn't want to, it's just waiting. Oh my God. dude! It's what, just, is there politics involved? There's uh. some, sometimes, you know, like I, 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 you know, it's every single time you step into the ring, nothing's guaranteed. Um, it's, uh, you could be hurt. You could hurt somebody. You could win, you could lose, you know, th- throwing away, just like I said, throwing away your healthier life cheaply makes no sense for anyone. Um, and, you know, having demonstrating some degree of, of of temperance is not cowardly either. I mean, but again, you're, if you wait too long, you have nothing. So I guess like, uh, I was trying and always being, I'm always open to fighting the absolute best people possible. I'm never turning down fights ever. Um, you know, if some random jabroni decides that he wants to fight him, like, go away. If I wanted to just fight randoms, I would just start stand at stand to the, you know, on the table at Denny's and start yelling. And I'm sure I would have, you know, some people who'd be willing to indulge me. But, um, uh, you know you, you want to fight um you know meaningful opponents challenging opponents and i and i know who and where they are and you did fight say, in
0: Atlantic oh. City, you know. I did, so the Denny, but you put well, the Denny's behind you.
1: I, I did, and you know, and I'll be honest, if there were if I'd have stood up after that fight, I don't know if I was in, in great shape to expect to win in the other fights that evening, but I could have could have tried it. I'm sure there were some takers in the crowd, particularly <laughs> after they watched me fight. They're like, Yeah, I'll fight that guy. So, so okay, so when was the last fight that you that had? was uh Darren Elkins? That was six months or seven months after the BJ fight, which was great because it's you know, I love maybe five He's a really tough, opponent, a very right? tough opponent, very tough guy, super tough dude, and uh, that was in uh. Uh, July 2019, and then right when I was about to fight, uh, so you were ready to fight regularly after that. Yeah, trying to
0: f- and then, you were trying to find a fight.
1: Yeah, and we got Ricardo Lamas, so no one else. None of the uh, I was ranked in the top 15 at that point, and then uh
0: people didn't want to fight.
1: We were, were struggling to find an opponent. And then Ricardo Lamas, a great you know former title challenger, you know MMA, you know really great history and MMA. Recently retired, but uh we were supposed to fight in. Uh, I think May, March, March, May of, of, uh, 2020 and then coronavirus happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that scrapped the whole show, you know, training, we were just scrambling to try to keep the gym alive, um, and, uh, take care, you know, I have five or six full, five, six, I think five full-time employees that, that I, you know, that are my responsibility. I have to, their livelihood is, is in my hands and it's, um, it would be irresponsible of me to, to not take that seriously. So anyway, uh, we were able to navigate through that time and then, Uh, we were able to reschedule the llamas fight and that was in August of last year. And I got a, a medical like flag, like, oh, Hey, you like you, you, you have like a medical condition that we need to look into. Uh, you, when I got pulled from the fight and I immediately was concerned because of course, any serious medical condition, you want to go like, oh man, well, I guess I would like to look at that. Yeah. It turns out it was a giant false positive and. You know we find that out you know all of five weeks later and you go you gotta be kidding me that's frustrating and then' we're still waiting for a fight waiting for a fight waiting for a fight waiting for a fight people won't sign up um asked for a number of different opponents basically said hey I'm willing to fight anybody that's that's tough and moving forward um finally got a you know a, a great opponent in Danny gay um for uh I guess it would have been uh this uh this, this march. march yeah and then um, I was training in January, working on working on some stuff. I was out uh, training with uh, Raymond Daniels in uh, in California. Raymond's amazing, um, unbelievable. You know, kickboxing, karate style kickboxer, fantastic martial artist, great teacher, great training partner, and good friend. And uh, you know, just really bad luck. Uh, you know, kind of a fall in the middle of uh, in the middle of training, and I tore uh, my hip flexor halfway off of my femur so yeah that wasn't great and you go like man right at the time where you're like oh man all right finally moving forward you know having the opportunity to fight dan's a really tough guy you know you have to fight well if you want to have a good chance to do well with him if you don't fight well it's going to be a rough night and i'm like that's exactly what I signed up for that's what we want with bj that's what we want with uh, elkins that was gray and then the universe goes hey man i hear you but there's also this so anyway uh yeah fortunately it's healing up and then hopefully uh I when do you think
0: you, you yeah, when, for may
1: i think um
0: May this year may
1: of this year yeah, so it's been it's been it's been about five weeks since the injury. You be able to heal up? You think? Yeah, I think it'll be okay by then. Like, I don't need a big camp at this point. I've had years of camp. Um, <laughs> not going to curtail my drinking or anything like that. Obviously, you know, come on, man. It's, life is meant to be lived, and uh, you know. So it's a uh, you know, I I've, I've, I'm in good shape. I always I'm always training. I'm trying to do my best to train around the injury to the extent that I can right now without
0: you know hurting myself long term. Mm-hmm. So is there a particular opponent you're thinking about?
1: Yeah. Anybody, anybody forward, you know, I mean, I tried to, I asked, uh, I asked the second that I got hurt. I sent a message to Dan and I said, Hey man, like, uh, I just wanted you to be the first person to know. Um, I, you know, I just was pretty reasonably injured. We just got an MRI. Doctor says like, Hey man, you're out and you need to take like three weeks off, off. Don't do anything. Or you're going to immediately, you're going to tear it the whole way. And this is going to be surgery. And then it's going to be an additional like eight weeks on top of that to start to rehab it through PT. And anyway, uh you know, so I let him know, hey, if you can push this thing back, I would love to keep on the car, or love to keep the fight. You know, it's like I respect you a lot as an opponent. And also it's been brutal trying to get anybody to sign on. So if you're into it, I'm I'm still there. Unfortunately, he turned that down. Uh, I understand he had other things going on and he and his wife were expecting a child coming up. So uh he needed to he needed
0: to fight. And anyway, uh, you know, I guess we'll we'll see what's coming forward. Um Is there somebody who's like super tough in the featherweight division that okay. you you seem to like enjoy the difficult puzzles. Is there somebody especially difficult that you would like to fight?
1: I would like to fight. I know that I'll need to win at least one fight before this. Um, and I look forward to coming back and giving my best effort to do that. I want to fight Sabit uh, Magomed Sharapov. I want to fight Yair Rodriguez. I want to fight um, <clears throat> Korean Zombie. You know, the it's is amazing.
0: complicated, man. Yeah, that, would be, uh, that, that guy, would be fun. I would love to see that fight. That, That's a that fascinating would, fight. That, that would be fun.
1: Um, He would be very challenging. All those guys would be very challenging. And uh, so I look forward to just staying healthy to the extent that we can coming back. And I'm going to fight multiple times this year, hell or hot water.
0: Hell yes. Hey, by the way, uh, I, I completely forgot. Because you were talking about the systems and uh, decision trees and the illusion of choice. Made me think of Sam Harris, and I forgot uh, to mention it. So he talks about free will quite a bit. Huh. And that there's an illusion of free will. So It's it's like bold claim, Cotton. (laughs) That, uh, you know, maybe the universe constructed that little game where it makes us feel like we have a bunch of choices, but we really don't. We're really always ending up with a middle finger. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's that's what you see before you die. It's just yeah. a giant middle <laughs> giant finger. It's like, oh, fuck. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. Do, what do you think? Do you think there's a free will? Like, we feel like we're making choices. So you're thinking, again, what we're talking about, okay, here's a system of martial arts that's uh, Hanzo Gracie. There's different schools and whatever. And then you're thinking, okay, how can I think outside these systems? But then there's a, also a system that's our – human society and we feel like there's a actual choice being made by us individuals. Do you think that choice is real or is it just an illusion?
1: Well, I, okay. That's a really good question. I'm not necessarily equipped to answer this, but I'll do my best. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess I would say to start with, sure. It would be interesting if it wasn't real, if the choice wasn't real. Yeah. It um, would be pretty interesting if it is real. Uh, first off, I would start with uh facilitated beliefs versus not facilitative beliefs. It's almost like, uh, I think the world's out to get me. True, not true. What next? Mm-hmm. Probably not a facilitative belief. Even if you, even if imagine you believe there's no free will. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what? Does that justify every single impulse that you're going to give into? Or does the belief in free will, does the belief in my ability to work hard, to focus, to be disciplined, to improve my position, improve my situation, whether it's true or not, although I think that at least many of us would argue that at least whether whether there's some sort of internal driver that allows for that. Yeah. Like, you, we live in a material world. Your actions do affect the world. Uh, I can choose to pick that water up or not. Um, and anyway, uh, I would say I believe strongly in the idea of picking facilitative beliefs, um, you know, and going, hey, I will— adjust whether this belief system is right or wrong on a cosmic level i'm nowhere near smart enough to understand but i can say me deciding that let's say for instance i'm going to walk over to have a conversation with someone in the hotel lobby and they've I've never met them and i go over and i start with "Huh, oh, this is gonna be interesting and i just walk over there versus in my head i'm like what's this asshole want we're about to have two very different conversations. I could be right that this person's not very polite, or is, or thinks negatively of me right from go. But I think that that's probably not a facilitative belief. People talk about, "I'm." How is that going to help me navigate the conversation to a positive conclusion? And I think about that for, uh, um, you know, let's say fighting. It's a good example. Like confidence. Pe- plenty of people believe plenty of things that aren't real. <laughs> myself included, I'm sure, uh, all the time. And uh, anyway believing that you can do something, I'm like, hey, I think I can win. doesn't guarantee you a positive outcome, but I would say it, it, most of us would probably, most of us would argue that it helps. Um, Think about depression. What's depression if if not a a negative, unfacilitated belief that is not always, that oftentimes is not reflected by reality, Mm -hmm. but you project it onto reality and it's understandable if it makes you feel like, oh man, this isn't going to work out. I don't think the prospects are going well. And then if you feel like you can't get out of that loop, that seems pretty rough. And I, I see a lot of things out in society right now where you go, whether whether you agree or disagree with various positions on things, you go, is that a facilitative belief? Even if that is yeah. true, which is arguable, anything. So what next, man? So what? where does this end? One when, when is the positive, what's the happy ending here? And if they go, yeah. well, there is no happy ending, I'm like, okay, so, so now what? So what do we do here? And I, I guess- uh,
0: So uh, choose the facilitative belief. And uh, in your intuition, believing that free will is real is uh is more productive for a successful life? Absolutely, because otherwise, how am I
1: not? How how am I? First of, all, how can I? How can society function if it's not real? So, how can I blame you or anyone else or hold anyone responsible for anything if free will isn't real?
0: Well, no, that's exactly the point. Uh, you, but at the surface level, what you're saying is true. But perhaps if we truly internalize that free will is an illusion we'll start to figure out something that uh, that transforms the way we see society. For example, we are very individual-centric. So uh, believing that free will is real puts a lot of responsibility and blame on people when they do something bad. Mm. Maybe if we truly internalize that free will is an illusion, we start to think about the system of humans together as... Um, as like this mechanism for progress, as opposed to where individual people are responsible for their actions, uh, good or bad. So we like remove the value, the weight we assign to the accomplishments or the the violence, the negative stuff done by individuals and more look at the progress of society. I don't know what that looks like, but it's almost like as opposed to focusing on the individual ants of an ant colony, Looking at the entirety of the ant colony,
1: it, that I so that I think it makes perfect sense. I would just say that that's a reasonable thing to suggest. It's a seismic shift, right? And it's hard to say whether that would be you know better or worse. But I guess I'll use this as a this as a convenient one for me. Um, so I remember the last time we spoke, I brought up you know one of the most reviled evil characters in certainly recent history, probably human history period, Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a big fan of making people live in the world that they want to believe in. Mm-hmm. Well, if free will doesn't exist and it's just about how things move forward, when are we going to be high-fiving this guy or what? Like this is, you know, because I remember what I said and, you know, that actually brings me to something else we discussed, you know. uh, Yeah, for
0: people who don't know, Ryan brought up, or I brought up, there's literally a giant book about Hitler. My So I've been obsessed with uh, Hitler, World War II, and Stalin recently, uh, for recently... oh man this has become like a meme joe rogan with like dmt and, and me with hitler like, can i pick something more positive like <laughs> cat in the hat or something i don't know but we, you brought up hitler as an example of something particular of the, the some philosophical discussions we're having and uh the excellent eloquent and uh the the full of integrity mma journalist uh, clipped out something you've said about uh, about hitler and said that uh, you know I, I I forget what the headlines are, but they were the the most ridiculous possible implementation. Of basically, nitwits
1: done. intentionally misrepresent, intentionally misunderstanding what I'm saying. And then it's like I get that they're stupid, but yeah. I'm stupid too. So I know what that's like. So I don't have stupid, a lot of sympathy. No stupid. For you. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't I can't give you a pass on that. But basically, intentionally misunderstanding what's going on. But what I find funny is that hey we got to be careful what we believe and again back to the cancel culture thing that we discussed last time as well where would i would i like to apologize i mean no actually something about cancel culture that we've been seeing things culturally I'm like i will be damned if i apologize for anything that i don't need to apologize for because i was intentionally misunderstood in that instance now yeah. you could say that i don't necessarily that i'm not a uh, historical scholar which i would agree immediately and also that i'm that i oftentimes ineloquently or inarticulately phrase things which i'll agree that again but uh ultimately you know going hey i want to make you believe live in the world that you will, that you're suggesting ought to exist okay so if there's no free will is everything how how far of a step back are we willing to take cosmically before we start going Hey, this is good because we're experiencing a social, you know, a, re- a reckoning in our country at the moment, you know, for good and for and for other um, probably, I guess, and basically, uh, but hey, it all worked out, right? So that that's probably not something that would fly, and and I think well, that that's would, a
0: fair thing. That's interesting. I, it, it might not fly from the individual perspective, but if you zoom out and think of you know appreciate society as you know, just like an ant colony as a beautifully complex system. Like we kind of, from the individual uh, perspective, we value progress, especially progress of the individual, but in whole progress of societies. But if you accept that this is just a complex system that's not necessarily headed anywhere, that this is almost like that river is just flowing, I think that removes the burden of always striving, of always trying, of always like the struggle and so on. So it's possible that if we have no control, you can like arrive at some kind of other Zen state. Does that we- sound very human, though? That's 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 that goes against, I think, uh, our current uh, human condition as we experience it, but we've communicated that to each other. Like so we've, we've taught like through these social forces, taught each other that our lives matter and so on. Maybe if we convince ourselves that we're just sort of like little things in a stream, and ultimately none of it matters there might be some kind of enjoyment to be discovered through that process i don't listen I no i'm idea. a capitalist rah, rah. like
1: <laughs> but i guess i think you bring up a really important point like i guess almost anything like capitalism i i only get to experience it as i as i sit here now and i get to live i was raised in the united states have traveled around the world a little bit have had the you know good fortune of meeting many people from many different places and um uh, I'm an end user of capitalism. I don't really know how it got here, whether it was yeah. – I wasn't there at the start of this idea. I wasn't there for, hey, how did we come up with this idea? How do we arrive? And I'm nowhere near well-read enough to, to understand any of that really uh, even secondhand. And I guess recognizing that communism, Marxism, socialism, anarchism, anything is uh, – these are all perspectives that all have, I guess, various strengths and weaknesses. But I guess uh, one thing I'm always – I guess I would say the burden, it seems to me that if you want to make a change, uh, the burden of proof is is on the person implying that there needs to be a change. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that there's nothing there, but it's like if you want to create a small shift, a ripple, that's fine, but a seismic ripping shift in how we exist or how we experience the world as human beings. And you mentioned fighting, why watching someone undergo uh, uh, take abuse on a level in the ring that's just shocking and then triumph in spite of it is like, it's, you're like, this is unbelievable. This is part of the magic of combat sports. Now it's part of the, the magic, the other side of the magic that doesn't get talked about sometimes is that the, the, the trajectory of that individual's life later on is, is not always great. Um, or there's a little phrase, there's a cost for that. But, uh, you know, if, if this, if there, we remember, you mentioned removing the struggle, I don't personally, the struggle is, is what makes life is what makes life life. And also, I guess, you know, something Faraz has brought up to me on a number of occasions is that, he, as he, and it makes sense to me, it, it's basically a, humans only understand things uh, through relative comparison. I only understand, um, you know, heat because I've known cold. I only understand, I guess like it's like talking to someone that's uh, never experienced any sort of hardship and then their their latte isn't right. And then they they pitch a fit versus someone that's gone through a great deal of challenge, struggle, you know, in their life they tend to have a little bit more of an even perspective and anyway uh and of course even is a relative thing and what i perceive to be even may not be even maybe i'm particularly softer or or something in the other direction without realizing because i can only understand what i can understand but the idea that that we want to fundamentally alter ourselves as a species and as people seems like a incredibly incredibly high bar to prove and also like an incredibly dangerous idea because it always comes back to, well, who's going to be responsible for this? Who gets to do the choosing? What's a good idea? What's not a good idea? And I guess that actually brings me kind of to a uh, something I've been encountering recently in, in discussions with friends. I feel like there's only two types of people that I that I encounter at this point. Um, people with a more or less libertarian tilt to their thinking and people without it. And when I say libertarian, I don't mean that in the, in the political party sense or, or even the, the belief system. Basically, where I'm like, hey you do you buddy I, it's not my it's not what you're up to is not my concern versus what you're up to is my concern and i i guess i've always watched you know various points in history people on this side or people on that side are more more or less you know i guess problematic i guess you could say and i don't mean that in the uh, internet sense <laughs> I mean, um you know more of, more of an issue but um it, the world is always full of people that want to tell you what you need to be doing as opposed to more or less do no harm and i guess that's one of the ones anytime i'm trying to tell other people what to do I better hope I'm right. And it's bizarre to me how many people are so confident that their side or their position is the one that's not only right for them, but right enough that they can enforce it on others. And that just seems incredibly dangerous to me. And I guess that comes back to even Sam's point about, oh, we want to... if. I'm trying to spread the idea that free will doesn't exist. I'm not saying it's damaging, but it very well maybe, be. And plenty of other things could be as well. I'm, I'm not, you know, it goes way over my head as to, you know, the implications of all of these. And I guess all of us are an evangelist for something, but uh, I, I guess it's weird that we've gotten this far as a species. And now we want to take like sharp, sharp
0: turns. Well, we've been taking a bunch of sharp turns throughout history. Yeah, that's 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 what, you know, that's that's the way, you know, okay, humans love power. And one way to attain power is to say everything that you guys are doing is wrong, and I have the right thing, and I'm going to build up a giant cult of people, and I'm going to overthrow. And uh, indirectly, what that results in me is me gaining power. And that's how you get all the big revolutions in human history, saying I'm done with the thing that the powerful are currently doing. So I'm gonna overthrow. That's that's where probably all the identity politics that's happening now is people that didn't have power before are looking to gain power. And they're also, you know, that's where Jordan Peterson criticizes identity politics is people with the right, with the good intentions, I should say, are in seeking power, allow power to corrupt them as power always does. And so they lose track of like the 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 devils that they're fighting by becoming the same kind of devils, the, the the same kind of evil that they're fighting. And so that that's just the progress of human history. But hopefully as these power greedy people keep Attaining power with the with a progressive mindset over time, things get better and better as they can as they like have generation each generation. Huh. A lot of a lot of unfairness happens. A lot of uh, hypocrisy happens. A lot of people are trampled along the way by those who mean well. But over time, like lessons are learned, or like human like civilization accumulates lessons, and in part learns lessons of history. And it gets better and better over time, even though in the short term, there's people acting not their best selves. And, you know, uh, that seems to be the progress of human history. The idea of internalizing with free will not being real, I, you, you're actually making me realize that that ultimately leads to a kind of. Um, Doesn't it, that go
1: it, in a nihilistic direction?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's both nihilistic, or if you want to be, make it a political system, then it's more like communist type of. A system where, like the the value of the individual is completely uh, reduced, removed, or another perspective is like the freedom of an individual is not to be valued or protected. And so, from our, us, our current perspective, the systems that seem to have worked, the United States works pretty damn well, uh, despite all the different criticisms. It seems like freedom of the individual, in all its forms seems to be fundamental to the success of the united states and so we should it's uh however the hell you put it is like doesn't matter whether free will is or isn't an illusion the belief that it's real protects the individual from the group which is fundamentally correct me if i'm wrong that
1: always seems like the big issue of history hey there's more of me than there is of you deal with it you're like yikes yeah, and you want to be yourself. You want to be different. You want to have a different religion. You want to be a different skin color. You want to do this. All the bad tribal things happen when there's more of me than you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah,
0: yeah, but, absolutely. But and that's also, always the fundamental power imbalance, though, right? Well, the interesting thing about the libertarian thinking, I, I guess, I. I don't know; those words are really maybe
1: they're all charged. I know it. Yeah, they're and I all mean, charged. And I, I may not scale up, but I, I mean more, more like on a philosophical underpinning, where you're like, yeah, basically, hey, you feel free to believe I'm I'm a fool, and I mean, plenty of people do, I'm sure. But as long as you don't chase me down the hall and hit me in the back of the head with a textbook,
0: what's the big deal? Yeah. So the libertarian viewpoint, which I probably espouse, like that's I'm very much like. Uh, freedom of the individual is very valuable and like leave others the fuck alone unless they're trying to hurt you. The thing is you also have to, I believe, put in the the work of empathy of understanding what others, how what leaving people the fuck alone means to others. But
1: isn't that an interesting thing? If I believe in freedom of the inv- individual and I take that, like all of these, like you said, you take them past just their first qu- why question. You ask why, 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 or how, 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 how many mm-hmm. times should that not extend to respect for you, respect for your position, respect for your individual yeah. lived experience, yeah. which could be grossly different than mine.
0: Yeah, this is the problem with saying I'm an individual, I'm not gonna bother you, you don't bother me. That's just like, that's not actionable because to to be to make it actionable, you have to think the why, 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 you have to do the steps beyond. Right. You think, what does that actually mean? That means understanding how even my very existence uh, like, hurts others. Hmm. Because you, you have to understand that, like, I'm not, you're not just sitting alone in a room. You're uh, you're using, like, public transit. You're using the police force. You're using firefighters. You're using the, like, you're using a lot of resources that are publicly shared. And some of those resources are, are unfairly distributed. Hmm. Uh, like, we've agreed that we're gonna pay taxes and those taxes are going to go towards building some kind of infrastructure. so that's already towards social that's so you're not a real you're you're not a real sort of I like talked to Michael malice like anarchists right saying like basically full just leave me the fuck alone and I'm going to collaborate with whoever the hell I want. we're not the, that's not the American society as it stands currently. We've agreed. That there's going to be certain social institutions mm-hmm. that we pay into, yes. and uh, some of the sort of discussions about race and all those kinds of things uh, is about those institutions being uh, institutionally unfair, whether mm-hmm. it's race or gender all those kinds of things. Listen, I you know I have a bunch of criticisms of the way that conversation carries itself out, but. The thing is what's valuable is to actually listen and empathize and that's not often often talked about with the leave me the fuck alone mindset because you're um it doesn't have it doesn't have that little component which I think could be fundamental to the function of a society which is like social like it's the what is it the Obama you didn't build it or you didn't build it alone or whatever what however that goes. But basically, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to accomplish anything as individuals without the help of others. Mm. And to be able to then start to think, okay, so what is what is what is my duty? What is my responsibility to other human beings to be respectful, to be loving, to to help them as part of this functioning society? That starts that's actually a lot of work to start to think about that, For sure. because then I have to like think, okay, Ryan, What's his life like? Like as a business owner during COVID, what's that like? And then he has uh, there's employees that run the gym. What's that like? What's that stress like? Right. Or about the fighting and the injury and so on. What's that like? That empathy takes a lot of like compute cycles, and uh, also a lot of energy, right? But I have to go through that computation if I want to be an individual that's like doesn't hurt you.
1: If if I may, I guess like to, to come back to Muhammad Ali, one of the things he said is service to others is the rent is the rent that you pay for your, you know, is the, is the price you pay for your rent here on earth. Yeah. And now I, I, one of the things that I think that I see as a result of the internet all the time is people talking about global giant problems, social problems that are society wide that are massive like truly massive and frankly beyond the beyond the power of any of us to solve yeah certainly on an individual level so i have you know i've discussed things with friends like my father's an environmental attorney like uh you know has been for a long time and has been an engineer for a long time and uh you know so i'm not barely know anything but i'm reading a little bit of, of various things but uh Climate change. Oh my God, I'm so concerned about climate change. Like, what am I supposed to do about climate change? I'll tell you what I can do is I can not litter. I can try to conserve energy where I can. I can do whatever I want. What can I personally do about some giant social problem that is that I didn't start and I, is out of my control? I'm like, well, I can be decent to the people around me. I like can mention I can demonstrate empathy and I can demonstrate consideration for the people in my circle and to the extent that I can, the people outside of my circle. But yelling at the trees over things that – over problems that are borderline cosmic um, doesn't seem very productive. It just makes me feel like I'm cool and important because I'm talking about something, well, hundreds of years from now, the water will rise. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I can't. It's completely over my head. I know nothing. But focusing on the problems that we can actually solve, it comes back to the same thing. I want to win a fight. I would love to win a fight. Uh, I can't control that. What I can do is I can control each individual step that I take around the ring and trying to make the next correct move. I can't look. No, it 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 gets people's uh, you know, they they get all excited. You know, I'm trying to keep my language in check, but they get all excited thinking about uh, you know, problems that are you know, like Superman couldn't solve these problems. Like you could be that powerful and you can't make all of the bad things go away, but you can absolutely change yourself. And I think a lot of the lessons that you know, like the good lessons from religion that happened, the good lessons from the great men and women throughout history that we, in, that we are inspired by that talk about change starting with within. And, you know, again, treating the people around you decently and treating the people around you decently doesn't even necessarily mean the golden rule do unto others as you would like them to do to you. I go, well, maybe what I would like and what this person would like aren't the same thing. Well, how am I going to get to the bottom of that? Cause I could be attempting to be decent to this person. And by my standard, I am being decent, but maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm missing the mark by theirs. Well, I can't possibly if I just interacted with you, like it's like someone talking about some nonsense microaggression. You're like, so let me get this straight. I've never met you before, you never met me before. And you're interpreting some minor comment that that I've made in the least charitable way possible. Yeah. I'm not saying that that you couldn't be annoyed, but your expectation for that level of consideration is you're gonna be you're gonna be disappointed a lot. Now, if you if we're someone that's in your life on a consistent basis and they're like, hey, I really don't appreciate what you're saying or what you're doing here, do you realize that? this is how I'm, this is how I'm perceiving. You go, oh man, I'm I'm so sorry. I, of course I would hear what you have to say. But I guess trying to recognize that, you know, my, I guess my job is to treat others with dignity in general, but that level, the level of specificity that that, that that requires increases as it gets closer to you. Mm. And I have, yeah. a, as a person, I have a very finite amount of resources, financially, intellectually, emotionally, physically, if I chuck you know 0.001% of it in every single different direction, what am I doing? It's like when people are like, oh, I, I care deeply about Tibet. I'm like, why aren't you over there? Go build a house, man. Get on a plane. Go build a house. Oh, you don't want to do that. So really what you want to do is post on Facebook and, and, and accept high fives for how much of a good guy you are. I got an idea. Go help somebody in your neighborhood. Go be go play with go play with some kids. Go be a friend to someone that doesn't have a friend. Read a book. Try to educate yourself. And so I guess to to come back, it's all of these problems aren't solvable on a grand scale, but it's almost like by attempting to address them in our personal lives, we do better. But rather than a giant airing of the grievances on a on a consistent basis, not that that isn't you know sometimes necessary and valuable, but at after you air your grievances, you go, hey, how about we we sort this out? What's the next step? Mm-hmm. And and I guess, again, when we're trying to address it on a giant social level, it just seems unmanageable to me, even if you have the best of intentions.
0: Yeah. I mean, but nevertheless, there's the, the, there's a lot you can do on social networks. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, tweeting and uh, consuming Twitter. It's just I, I apply the exact same principle that you just said, which is uh, <laughs> the free will and discussion, which is like I approach it. In a way that I don't get stuck in this loop that's counterproductive, I try to do things that are productive. And like it, it's just like you said, that's like, uh, like what kind of things can I do in this world? Whether that's tweeting or building things, those are low effort. Tweeting or actually building businesses or building ideas out—that's high effort. What can I do that will actually solve problems? And that's that's the way I approach it. And I do wonder if it's possible to, at scale, encourage each other to approach like social media and communication with fellow humans in that way. I don't know.
1: How do you think that would be done? I guess, like, to improve the improve the quality of discourse, maybe, like, or even, like you said, the empathy or the the decency of discourse.
0: I think people should be, you know, uh, incentivized, encouraged to do that. I think most of what's we see happening on Twitter and Facebook and so on has to do with very small. The very powerful uh, implementation details. It it goes down to like what is the source of the dopamine rush, the like button, uh, the sharing mechanisms. Just even small tweaks in those can fix a lot. Really, I I believe so. So like a lot a lot of the stuff we see now is the result of just initial implementations of these systems that we didn't anticipate. So the monetization comes from engagement. And the, the tools we have is clicking like and sharing. It was not always obvious. It was not obvious from the beginning. It wasn't obvious while Twitter and Facebook grew that there's a big dopamine rush from getting more followers and likes and shares. So we've gotten addicted to this feeling like how many people are commenting, how many people are saying like uh, uh, clicking like and so on. So that's that dopamine rush. So we want to say the thing that will get the most likes. on and like en masse in society. And then the other thing that was expected is the controversial, the divisive will get the most likes. So we it had to do with the initial mechanisms of likes and shares resulting in an outcome that was unpredicted, which is huge amounts of division irrespective of like any of the basics of human connection that we've actually all come to understand that society is valuable at the individual level, like we're saying, but on mass, what results is like you throw all that out and it's all just divisive at scale uh, discourse. Uh, I think it could be fixed by incentivizing personal growth, like incentivizing you to challenge yourself to grow as individual, and most importantly, to be happy at the end of the day. So uh, feed, like incentivize you feeling good as in, in a way that's long-lasting long-term. I think what makes people actually feel good is being kind to others long-term. Mm. In the short-term, what feels good is getting a lot of likes. And I think those are just different incentives that if implemented correctly, you could just build social networks that would do much better. So, do you
1: think it comes from a structural perspective? I guess at what point does you mention like uh, you mentioned free will, and also you mentioned uh, you know feeling good, like uh, and again working hard. You know, you, I know that you have the, uh, I,
0: I guess the uh, was it a race or um... no? It's oh the 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 Goggins thing. Yeah, uh, it's four by, 40, four by four by four by forty eight challenge where you run four miles every four hours for two days. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the, it's a bunch of it's it's a. Uh, the 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 challenge of it isn't just the running the running is very tough but it's mostly the sleep deprivation because right. you're just training every four hours but it's a struggle right it's and that but the struggle gives
1: meaning and ultimately I guess so how can we because you mentioned like you said adjusting things on like a uh, I, I guess like a programming level almost yes. uh, base programming level so that the interface is different for the user yes. but at what point does the user have a responsibility to you know as a as a man or a woman or a person to just to behave more decently how can we i guess utilize what can we do it seems like you know we're like our society is so grossly missing like a martin luther king right now like the great inspiring characters
0: throughout american history throughout world history where are the great leaders so leadership is part of it but i you know that's definitely where the great leaders is a very good question that's that's more of a question of of our political systems why they're not pushing forward the great leaders but there's also just the okay There's uh, some just basic engineering shit, which is when you and I, when you Ryan and I are in a room alone, and we're talking, even if we're strangers, the incentives are for us to get along. Like just when we're together in person, that's what I'm saying. I'm not Mm. even saying some kind of. But when you but when
1: you remove that.
0: When we remove that, the 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 implementation of of the of social networks as they stand right now in the digital space, have a very different set of incentives. Mm. It's more fun to destroy others, to be shitty to others, and that and it becomes this loop, endless loop, uh, like you were saying, that's ultimately destructive and not productive. And I think it has to do with just the interfaces of. Uh, making it feel good to be nice to others. Because currently it doesn't feel nearly as good to, to be nice to others on the internet. And it f- it doesn't feel nearly as bad as it does in real life to be shitty to others on the internet. So the incentives are just wrong. I, I think there is a technology solution to this or at least a solution to improve this uh this communication mechanism. It's not obvious how. Right. I have a bunch of sort of more detailed ideas, but this is fascinating because uh I've gotten a chance to talk to Jack Dorsey quite a bit. He's the CEO of Twitter. And he is legitimately has, you know, in this conversation, he would agree with everything. And he's a good human being and he has a lot of really good ideas how to improve things. The question When you're a captain of a ship, whether even it's a question whether a CEO is even a captain, how much can you actually steer that ship once it's gotten large enough? There's so much momentum, there's so many users, there's so many people who are marketing and PR and lawyers. It's very difficult to change things.
1: Is it difficult because of the fallout or is it difficult because it's actually like literally out of his power?
0: Uh, So power is weird when you have a large organization. This is why the great leaders, this is what great leaders do, whether it's presidents or leaders of companies. Steve Jobs, I would argue Musk is that way, is to walk into a room full of people who don't want you to create drama. It's weird, man. When people just kind of want to be nice, the, the niceness creates momentum and nobody wants to, it's the systems thing. Everybody just behaves in the way they were, previously behaving in the way they're supposed to behave and nobody wants to raise a fuss it takes a great man or woman leader to step in and say what we've been doing is bullshit okay you're fired you're fi- you're cool what is it that right. uh, uh, i'm out yeah uh, i i think you have to create constant revolutions within a company that's very very difficult to do structurally and psychologically it's very difficult to do to to be able to sort of Yeah, to constantly challenge the way things have been done in the past. And which is why another way it's often done is a startup, like a small company, basically a a small company becomes really successful and then no longer can uh, turn the ship. So Mm. a new startup comes along, a new competitor that then challenges the big ship. And then that starts out the winner. That's like Google came to be, that's how Twitter came to be, and Facebook and so on. And uh, Apple has you know that that was the dream of steve jobs as it would succeed for for many decades for like centuries that was the idea that you would keep keep creating revolutions and under steve jobs apple successfully pivoted a bunch of times right just like reinvented themselves which and is funny very though, difficult
1: to do it, because i mean i've heard at least i don't know if this is accurate because i wouldn't know anything but i've heard plenty of people comp- complain about steve jobs yeah but in reality, the reason that all of these amazing things were done was because this person was willing to well, obviously brilliant and then also willing to to rattle the you know rattle everyone's cage
0: periodically and say hey what's going on is not what we need to be doing. That that's a really interesting thing. So he would rattle the cage, but he would also I I don't know if those are intricately connected or always have to be connected, but he would just be a dick. So well,
1: maybe by my maybe by his standard, I am lazy and worthless. Well that's is, he is, would say is, that to you. Is right? he being a dick though? If by his standard, I mean, like again, it's like everyone's stupid compared to somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I guess uh But it, so you you apparently are able to take that kind of thing. It's <laughs> uh sometimes you just you cross there's there's ways to cross the line. And I mean this is okay. The the fascinating thing about being a leader, especially a leader of, of companies, is it's a people problem. So each individual in a room. So as a leader, you're only really interacting with a small number of people because there are leaders of other smaller groups and so on. But each of those individuals in the room have their own different psychology. Some like to be pushed to the limits, some some like like to be screamed at, some have a, are very soft spoken and almost afraid to speak. And they have to be uh you have to you have to hear them out. Like there's a and those those could be all superstars. We're not we're not talking yeah. about like the C students. We're no, talking about the A plus students.
1: Well, it's funny that yeah. But the the thing to man the skill to manage all of those people is completely separate from the skill to innovate something. I mean, not, not that they're not connected, but it's funny how it's it's almost like uh you know why do we have shitty why do we have shitty representatives.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, th- the thing that you do to get elected has nothing to do with governance, yes. you know, so. Well, that's exactly it, but the, the great leaders have to have both skills. Mm. So, like, you have to have the boldness of, and if, if you look at the great presidents through history, you know, usually it's in a time of crisis is when they step up, but they basically say, okay, stop this old way that Congress works of this bickering, of this, like, Compromise bullshit. Here's a huge plan that costs billions of dollars in this, today's age, trillions of dollars. No extra pork, no extra additions. Just like, here's a clear plan. We're going to build the best road network the, the world has ever seen. Or We're going to build some huge infrastructure project. We're going to revolutionize the internet or we're going to for coronavirus. We're going to build the largest like testing facility the world has ever seen in terms of the, we're going to get everybody tested uh, several times a day all those kinds of things mm. huge projects and say uh, fuck all this uh, the details that everybody's bickering about we're going to give everybody uh, $2,000 we're going to give everybody $3,000 like huge projects and at the same time so that's the boldness and the leadership and saying throw out all the bullshit of the past and at the same time be able to get in the room with the leaders of both parties or with the powerful individuals and smooth talk the shit out of them <laughs> in the way they need to be smooth talked to. So like both of those skills, it seems to be like when they're combined in one person, that's that creates great leaders. Musk appears to have that, Elon. I don't know if Steve Jobs, it's interesting. So the criticism of Steve and a little bit on Elon is he misses some of the human part, um, but may, maybe it's impossible to have a really, uh, you have like Sadia Nadal, who's the CEO of Microsoft. You have, um, who's, Really good on the human side. Really, really good on the human side. Like, everybody loves them. Mm. Uh, the CEO of uh, Google and Alphabet uh, is also the same way. So, like, I don't know if it's possible to have both. Uh, you only get
1: so many stat points.
0: Yeah, you only get <laughs> in, this, in this RPG of life, yeah. That's right. You got very good at jiu-jitsu very fast. So, you went, I mean, you told the story, blue belt and so on, but you you went to black belt really quickly uh, and not just in terms of ranks, but in terms of just skill level. I mean, uh, you didn't go to black belt nearly as fast as your skill set developed. You were like doing extremely well at a high level of competition. So you're a good person to ask, how does one get good at Jiu Jitsu? We, we talked about solving problems at the elite level, but when you're a beginner at the, at the martial arts, how do you get good? How much training should you do the very basic stuff, like how much training, how much drilling okay. and then the mental stuff like where should your mind be? How should you approach it from a mental perspective too?
1: I'll just tell you my perspective on this one. I guess I would say uh I feel step one I feel lucky to have found uh you know a good training situation, particularly f- for the time um you know in uh in where in where I was at, and uh, I drilled a ton. Um, I, I drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And um, one one thing that's really important to understand, though, is that it. I was able to in a relatively brief period of years go go from zero to reasonably good. But um, I, I think I probably crammed more hours in those small years than most people did training let's let's say in two or three times the length so it may not it may masquerade as something else other than it is i, I could say so you have to put in the hours yeah there's no definitely. way around that i i think so but um, what did
0: you put in those hours so the, when you say drilling can you break that apart a little bit sure. like what 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 does drilling look like is there any recommendations you can make?
1: absolutely step one i would say your choices matter like uh there's a i think the, one of the really important things that i think we should consider about jujitsu is that there's a lot of junk in the system right now it's like jujitsu is exploded in terms of uh the number of positions techniques strategies this that rule sets that's really cool on the one hand on the other hand there's probably a just metric shit ton of suboptimal things that are out there that are being taught Mm-hmm. um i my, myself included i've taught things that are looking back five years three years two years one year i'm like oh i would not do it like that anymore straight up sometimes i wouldn't do it like that other times i would literally never do even that particular movement um i don't think the shrimp is a real move uh it's I, it's a giant spiel and seizure to show in person but long sort of it is there's a lot of things that are we think of as fundamental that i think that are uh really pretty negative and also you know um, that's heresy in jiu-jitsu isn't it the shrimp
0: exactly is like the holy we all worship the shrimp we love the shrimp we love the shrimp now for (laughs) people who don't do jiu-jitsu and you should the shrimp is uh you scoot your butt away from your opponent yeah in a really Well, it's, really, it's, it? it's,
1: it's like a really athletic looking position where you look like like someone that's trying to stick their butt out on instagram and then mm-hmm. you push your hands away and you expose your face and then uh you lay on your side because someone told you to do that and you look like a sh- yeah i guess you look like a shrimp yeah. It's like that time that, uh, you know, someone really credible told me to drink unleaded gasoline and I did it for a while. And then, uh, you know, it got to the point in my life where, you know, the next best, the thing that I needed to do to really improve my life was stop drinking unleaded gasoline. Yes, And, uh, I, I would say that there's like a lot of stuff that's, that's in there that step one is like, uh, it's junk it's actual junk and it's it's not only will it waste your time it's it will straight up it will it will be like an albatross hanging on you because it affects how you think about things going forward so although um it was it's funny like the operating assumptions that that we we work under um have a huge 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 influence you mentioned like growing up in the united states or this being a capitalist society like woohoo all right. Now, of course, I think that I don't really know any different otherwise, and I think that a lot of times people go, "Oh, communism is better." I'm like, I haven't seen it, <laughs> I haven't read any books about it being better, but uh, it's possible. I mean, wh- I haven't experienced it much myself either, so I can't dismiss it outright. But I guess I would say it's a fundamentally differing, differing operating system underpinning, and all of my choices. All of if I honestly believed in that thing many of my choices on a moment by moment on a day by day and certainly on a lifetime basis would be very different so i would say that uh it's tough when you're when you're young in the martial arts and i mean all of us are always trying to do our best to learn but when you're young in the martial arts you always go if you're a reasonable guy what do they what do they call it like dunning kruger amnesia i can't remember if this is the right one but basically you go like oh i know what i'm doing here mm-hmm. so i can say that's not right but then i read a new story about baseball and only really about baseball it sounds credible um and it's it's bullshit <laughs> yeah but i can't call bullshit if you're a reasonable person you can't call bullshit on things that you don't understand even if you suspect it's not right you're like well i've got a reserved judgment you never ever ever set aside your your need and also obligation to understand why you were doing what you're doing and don't ask why once ask why over and over and over and over about the same thing. Oh, well, I want a shrimp. Why? To make space. Why do I want to make space? To get away from the guy. Well, why do I want to get away from him? Well, because he's dangerous. Well, why is he dangerous? And you can oftentimes get down to, wait a minute, I didn't even need to move. Three quarters of the time, you're actually acting in the other person's self-interest. And I, and I guess a lot of times I can't, this kind of goes beyond what we can you know, demonstrate here. But I would just say... uh Trying to understand what my base operating assumptions are and consistently reevaluate them, which can be freaking exhausting, frankly, and also comes sometimes confidence destroying. But you mentioned uh, that I that I did pretty well relatively quickly. I was at um, I started in two thousand and four, and I was at Abu Dhabi ADCC for the first time as an alternate in two thousand and seven. I won a match there against a the Black Belt world champion. Um, and uh, the fact, frankly, the fact that I was able to beat someone like that was neat. But at the same time, says a little bit more about what jujitsu is and some of the issues with it than it does about how cool i I am or was because that shouldn't really happen when you think about it you're like okay you're you're a champion at, at ostensibly a very high level of the sport you enjoy a three inch four inch height advantage and a 35 pound weight advantage and you just got beat
0: like that should
1: not exist i'm serious i'm dead serious that should not exist if that happens you're doing it wrong is it that i'm doing it right or is it that you're doing it wrong and there's enough variance in the way that you're doing it that you're allowing me to win and now i did happen to win that with the 50 50 heel hook which was 50 50 but um but basically which was one of the early examples of like hey guys by the way people can try to hurt your legs. And that was something like, uh, we mentioned John Danaher mentioned like, you know, myself, Dean Lister, a lot of the guys from the Henzo Gracie team that have had amazing success. They've gone and done great things. Um, and you know, Craig Jones in the uh, competitive grappling world, basically taking advantage of being very, very good in what they're doing, but also a glaring, glaring, glaring issue with the operating system of jujitsu, which was, you know, a huge vulnerability um, in the lower body and not only not attacking it, but having no idea how one does attack it, which means you can't understand how, to, how someone will assail you. So anyway, um, I, I guess to come back is if in the in the absence of knowing what to do, I try to polish what I've got. So if I've got a knife and I'm like, I don't know how to use them, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sharpen the edge and polish it and make sure that when I need to use this dang thing, I'll be able to do it. Because trying to put together a system when you don't have an idea of what's going on, a lot of times you end up making you know suboptimal choices, but as long as you're consistently reevaluating what you're doing, and that's something I've tried to do over time, over and over and over again, and try to seek out the uh the most um the the best and also most uh um articulate or insightful I- instructors or people of, of various love doesn't matter if they're well known or not that could say hey Ryan I think you should do this I think you should do that and I I think all I've ever done in martial arts is try to treat people with respect honestly try to um, demonstrate appreciation for the many, many people who have helped me over time and be the type of person that they want to train with. Not the type of, because we've all trained with people that make us think about beating the ever-loving crap out of them. I never wanted to be that guy. And I was basically saying, like, if if I train with a black belt when I'm a blue belt and, and this person enjoys training with me, uh, that's in my interest. Selfishly, not only do I not want them to beat me up, but selfishly, I should, you mentioned being decent to other people. You want to incentivize being decent to other people, right? With yeah. the structure of what you're doing selfishly, I'm incentivized to be a nice guy, even if I'm internally a scumbag, which I like to think that I'm not, but basically uh, going like, Hey, this guy's way more likely to help me. Or this person's way more likely to help me. If I shake their hand, say, thank you. I really appreciate you helping me out. And, uh, but that thing that they tapped me with four or five times, I'm going to ask them about it. And then they don't have to tell me they're under no obligation, but I'll say, and whether well, they tell me, or don't thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate
0: it and uh that that's it you know okay so to summarize so, so what you d- brilliantly described i just want to make sure we're keeping track I went all over the place no you didn't you're you're pretty on point but uh so the the first thing is basically which is difficult i wonder if we can break it apart a little bit is don't trust authority essentially keep asking why be respectful
1: but, without trusting authority right
0: right which is and then the second thing is be the kind of person that others like training with or like being around sort of uh being a good a friend. So, so many people just enjoy being around. So one is complete, which is, yeah, you're right. It's attention, which is like completely disrespect the the way that the things are done. So asking why constantly. One of it is your own flaws and not understanding the fundamentals of what's being described. And then once you get good enough, not understanding, uh, like going against the fact that the instructor doesn't understand. And, and my
1: inability to understand what you're saying, though, doesn't invalidate it. And that's something, like you mentioned, like me m- mentioning, keeping in mind our own flaws, and then also again the flaws that any of us have as the instructor. To your point, and I guess I can speak to being kind of weird. I don't, uh, you know, I like to sit in the corner. But um, so everyone's a little bit different. Some people, you know, I wasn't terribly popular in high school. I, you know, I uh, I didn't like high school very much. But anyway, yeah, I would not gonna be rude to people though. I was never going to bully anybody. Yeah. If you said hello to me, I'd say hello back. I would hold the door for you if you walked by, you know. And I would just say like simple things like that go a long, long, long way. And that actually takes us back to our uh, um, to our social discussion where I'm like, oh man, how do I become great at jujitsu? It's like, well, I'll start by not pissing off this person who can beat the crap out of me, and not disrespecting the person who is probably the the, clearest, the closest thing to a font of knowledge at that time for me. So, And then recognizing that I should do that for its own virtue because it's the right thing to do and I should try to treat people decently. But beyond that, even selfishly, it's in my interest to do that.
0: <laughs> but see, the thing is, this, this is interesting, is um, there's a culture in martial arts, a culture that I like, where the instructor, legitimately so, carries an aura of a, authority. And it's not comfortable to really ask why. I, I'm not, it's it's a skill to be able to have a discussion as a white belt, the black belt instructor of like, why is it done this way? Like, and saying why again. Uh, yeah. Like, would I mean, it's a skill to show that you're actually a legitimately a curious and passionate and compassionate student versus like somebody who's just being an annoying dick who saw some stuff on YouTube there's yeah. a line between to walk there i i just wonder because like it's the drilling thing I mean, you know i um for example like in my when when i was coming up there was so much emphasis placed on like close guard for example mm-hmm. and you might you might actually teach me now i, I, I don't know but to me, it was like, why do I need to master the close guard? Like, why is the close guard on top or the bottom? But the bottom really is the fundamental basics of jujitsu. Who decided like, that? My body is not. My body says this is wrong. I'm, I'm like this. Like, I have short legs, but it doesn't even matter the length of the legs. There's something about me that just I don't understand how leverage here works for my particular body like so it's just it's a feel thing too like it feels like in my basic understanding of leverage and movement and timing and so on it feels like these certain like butterfly guard or even like half basically every guard except close guard i i, I can play i can dance close guard feels like you're shutting down uh like the play that Is i that
1: wrong or is that make sure that's what you want because that's almost like an innate characteristic of this guard position but it's not sold that way right it's like yeah. hey this is a good guard it's like hey man here's a bow and arrow versus and you know how to use this thing right like make sure you're you're far away and like up on a hill or something cuz you could take that bow and arrow run up on something and try to use it but if nobody told you not to do that and they told you it was foundational it's very foundational it's very important to everything else too right that's back to the shrimping thing. How many things are we taught that even if it's not, let's say, itself is not a, a garbage thing, might be effectively garbage. I, you could give me a Ferrari, but if I try to make it fly, it's not going to work. If you're like, oh, but here's a plane, here's another plane, here's another plane, here's another plane, here's a Ferrari. I'm like, oh, it must be a different type of plane. <laughs> like, you, you could be forgiven for for leap if we're going there. Yeah. You know, like, oh, maybe the wings come out, or you just go fast enough. It's like a bullet. I'm like, you can make these crazy leaps in your mind, and people are doing that all. The time. Mm-hmm. So if you don't provide the context for me, or worse yet, you provide improper context, like how how much of a problem is that gonna be?
0: Well, I think the skill of the white belt should be just be nice. But so in the complicated human space of when your intention, at least on the, in the big picture view, is good. There's the question is, it's not always when your intention is good, the actual implementation of it is good. So you might be just almost, and and that's much, it's not the case for you, it's much more the case for white belts. They don't even know, their intention might be good, but they don't know all the lines they're crossing, all the, right. so they're not actually able to and like interpret all the ways in which they're being totally insensitive to the requests of others, like right. explicit requests of others. So your job as a beginner is to be a really good listener of those social cues. It's like a visitor in a foreign country, right? Yeah. Like you're a representative
1: of people that look like you, people that talk like you, people that have your passport and you're like, man, I'm gonna go over here. Oh, I've got my foot up on my knee. Well, if I was in certain countries in the world, that's rude. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. But can you imagine if someone says, hey, I really appreciate if you take your foot off, that's pretty rude. And then I wanna tell them, well, not where I'm from, man. I'm in your house. I better, again, I might go that direction, but let's say I could get away with that. Now I'm a bully. And if I can't get away with that, I'm about to maybe be on the wrong side of something. But I I guess, uh, like you said, if we have positive intention, that's fine. But I also have to recognize who I am. And I think that that's one thing that I tried to do and continue to try to do over time. Like we're, oh man, uh, hi, I'm the one that's asking for a favor here. If I spar with Raymond Daniels, Raymond Daniels is doing me a favor. I ain't doing him a favor. Let's not get it twisted. So. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. These are not, and this is not like some affected nonsense. This is serious. I'm like, mm-hmm. thank you. If I spar with Stephen Thompson, I'm I'm the one being done a favor. George St. Pierre takes his time to spar with me, which he has in the past, and and not even kill me, which is really, I appreciate that because that's why I can sit here. George is not a prop for me to 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 get my rocks off or see what's going on. And also, I'm gonna do that and then expect him to just take it. And I've seen he's a gentleman. I've seen people get nuts with George and and have him just be like. He has a he's a patience of a saint. Um, yeah. I don't have that level of patience. but I would just say to come back. What figuring out, like, hey, so what what role am I here? And that comes back to, like, at least what I see people on the internet. Yeah, man, I have a beef with Joe Rogan. You're like, no, you don't, Ryan. You're some goof. Yeah. I'm like, I'm some random dude. Joe, like, people want to, they almost want to, like, elevate so that we can somehow be level. We're peers here. If I go into Faraz Hobby's gym, I am not a peer of Faraz Hobby. I am a student of TriStar. I am a guest in the academy. Yeah. And if Faraz asked me for something short of him, like, you know, telling me to try to do a triple backflip so I break my neck. The answer is, yes, sir. I, I can do it for you for us. No, man. And no worries. And it's and hopefully it should come with, I guess, a level of graciousness. But I guess that's kind of one of the things that I see nowadays with uh, how accessible people are. Because I grew up you know, being a big, huge baseball sports fan of all kinds. I couldn't send Derek Jeter a message and, and much less have a possibility of a reply. And if I do, it's like, you know, I have people send me messages. It's very nice that, that people send me messages. Some people, again, and everyone, not everyone is coming from the same place. But I've had plenty of things that are like, yo, dude, I need you to do this for me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'll tell you what's never going to happen that I have no idea who you are. And that was how I was addressed. And I don't need, oh man, you're the greatest one, because that's weird. And two, because I'm not, but yeah. just, hey, Ryan, uh, how are you doing? um Hey, do you think you could do the following if you get a second? I'm like, if I get a second, you're dang right, I can. Why not? It's easy ask. But it, it started with some level of politeness. And I guess, yeah. like, that's maybe being
0: semi Southern. Like, I grew up in Virginia. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Like, you, that yeah, well, the, the, and there's all different kinds of implementations of politeness. I mean, all most of the successful people I've met, been, it's been surprising to me how much of you, you mentioned peers, like the like I could think of Joe Rogan. You mentioned Joe Rogan, but Elon Musk, they don't like they almost treat me like I'm the superior. You know what I mean? Like it's not even it's it's that's the politeness, like. You know, it, that's the approach. The feeling of it is like I'm the student. I'm the beginner. I'm like approaching a situation like it's it's uh, it's almost like method acting of like you're better than me. It, that and that's how I approach a lot of interactions. Like I have something to learn from this, even if it's like a young. Do you like, think that they're ungenuine? They're totally genuine.
1: They're it, but isn't that a funny thing? Like in yeah. spite of who they are, they're incredibly genuine because they respect, correct me if I'm wrong, they respect yeah. you obviously for what you bring to the table. But also no, no, they approach everybody they, like no, this. But that's <laughs> what I, no, they, no, but they, I'm sure they respect for what you bring to the table. Beyond that though, there was, they're treating you with dignity as a human being. Yeah,
0: as a human being.
1: Which that's right. Pe- yeah. And when they could probably get away with treating most people without a whole heck of a lot of dignity. Yeah. And I guess what does that always say? That like, you know, again, like you can always tell someone of of, you know, of quality because they treat the king and the and the janitor the same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true but that. that's what we're seeing a lot like you know, i that was i guess i don't mean to like to nitpick but that's where we take issue i guess a little bit or, or disagree with are the you going
0: to criticize with the, the internet again i uh, know uh, <laughs> people uh, on the uh, internet uh,
1: old man yells it yells at clouds but uh <laughs> but um anyway but i guess uh w- but what i mean is just like the way that people address each other because it's so yeah. casual now yes you know and it's it's great on the one hand it's nice on the other hand you go hey I just, why can't do, am I somehow diminish am I worried about diminishing myself? It's like the way that I'm sure that people talk to like, talk to women sometimes mm-hmm. and where it's, hey, what's up girl? Oh man, she's a bitch. You know, yeah. versus like, uh, how am I, that was supposed to get a good response. Well, yeah. What about that was going to elicit a a favorable response, you know, versus being anything, anything other than, than just, Yo, man, well, I, what's going on? And I guess that does that make any sense? No, it, it
0: makes total sense. And that southern thing that you're referring to, I I feel like that's an important uh, that's an important part of human communication. Let me ask you this. Sure. Your new back attacks instructional. First of all, awesome. Yeah. Uh, second of all, you, you drop a, <laughs> you drop a lot of fascinating insights in there, but you quote uh, Galileo out of all people in saying that you can't teach a man anything, you can only help him find it within himself. So we talked about how to start in jiu-jitsu. What about if we zoom out even more and how do you learn how to learn? How do you optimize the learning process?
1: I I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you what I like to do. And I would say like, I can't step one. I don't, I'm not, maybe this is a little bit easier for me because, you know, I'm, I've never had a ton of friends, honestly. I've, you know, I've got my close friends and people that I know, but I've never had tons and tons of people. So I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking and anyway, uh, I can't, I can't control you. I can't control anybody else. I, you know, I, uh, um, all I can, I want to take my, oh, it's a Marcus Aurelius thing. It's like, you know, I guess the trick to life is figuring out what's in our control and what's not and focusing on things that are in our control, I guess. And uh, so step one is figuring out both internally and then also out in in the world as, as it pertains to Jiu-Jitsu, what is actually in my control and what is not. Like passing someone's guard is not in your control. People think it is, it ain't. If I can't just do an activity and be unchecked, then it ain't in my control entirely. I can always breathe. I can always, um, you know, be calm. I can always, no matter whether I'm concerned or not concerned, have whatever you want to call it, nerves. You know, I, I can step forward across the line and say, "I will. I will face the challenge ahead." That is all entirely. No one can stop me from doing that. That's entirely my control, and that's why I know that every single time that I walk into the ring, I will walk in and out of there with my head held high because there's. I I will fight with everything that I have. I can't promise that I'll win. I would say I take that same first principles you mentioned last time we talked you know, with uh, Elon and uh, the importance of that and going, what are the first principles? And I guess to come back, a lot of times, in my opinion, the things that people think are the basics are not the basics. You can't learn. If you think you're reasoning for first principles, but you're actually at like level six, you're actually like layers up. You're making so many, there's so many baked in assumptions to what's going on that you're going to struggle to understand why anything is actually happening internally, externally, you name it. So I guess what I would start when it comes to learning is first principles and trying to understand what's going on, but then also simple things first. I can control my posture. I can control my breathing. No one can stop me from doing that. I can control where I place my frames. I can control where I place my limbs. I can move my feet. I can develop the ability to do these things better, of course. And I do that through practice, through drilling, through watching people. I've been incredibly fortunate in my time in martial arts to train with many of my heroes, yeah. to train with many of the people that I looked at. And I was like, that guy is amazing. I want to train with this person. Like T- Steven Thompson, Kenny Florian, George St. Pierre, Raymond Daniels, Faraz Ahabi, you know, I mean, like Bruno Frazado, Marcelo Garcia, all, you know, all of these guys that are just unbelievable. And I go, well, they're moving in a way that's different well, how do I do that? Well, sometimes you can ask them and they can tell you directly. Other times people, part of the genius of what they do is that it's intuitive. And maybe they don't think and understand and see the world the same way that I do. That was something that I experienced with Marcelo. Um, he's amazing. But in in a different way than his, it just, we see things fundamentally differently. We experience the world differently. It seems to me that we do. Um, and again, that, that taught me a really important lesson because I was wanting when I trained there to have someone go, hey, Ryan, do this, 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 and this, and, and that's how it works. And I am mm-hmm. like, all right, because that's how I understood martial arts at the time. Um, I wasn't ready to have someone tell me like, hey, um, it feels a little bit like this, and I just kind of do it, which is kind of what Marcelo would do at the time. Is he was less experienced as a teacher, but that is what he was doing. I was completely – I couldn't separate in my mind performance and understanding, I thought that if I understand, I could do it. And I would also wonder, I would also struggle sometimes to wonder why I couldn't execute things that I thought I understood, mm. and why guys like Marcelo were just so elemental. I mean, in like the like lightning, wind, like that type of thing, where like it's just so in touch with what they wanted with with their capabilities. They could summon their powers at will. I couldn't always do that, and. I guess so recognizing that there was more than one way to the top of the mountain. And also I had a lot of science, but I didn't have a lot of art. Or I had some science, I should say, but I didn't have a lot of art. Meeting people like Marcello taught me and then Josh Waitskin, actually brilliant guy, uh, chess champion, um, former owner, maybe owner of Marcelo's uh, Marcello's Academy, really great friend. I think he has a book on learning. He does, yeah, the art of learning, actually. <laughs> the art of learning, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, he knows a thing or two about it. But a uh, great guy. And anyway, he, he sat me down one time and was like, Look, man, you're you're doing this wrong. You're missing what they're missing, the genius, the brilliance that's right in front of you. And it, it took me one time. What did you mean? Exactly? That I, I was frustrated with uh, with my inability to grasp certain things and, and sometimes uh, the teaching style being different. Not wrong, just it was... It, it it was it was tough for me at the time. So you were my, trying to
0: replicate what Marcelo was saying, as opposed to understanding the 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 fundamentals from which it was coming. Right, I couldn't see I couldn't see where it was coming from, and also
1: sometimes I'm like, well, why can't you explain it in the way that I would want you to explain right. it? And he's like, well, why can't I meet Nobody him where will. he's coming from? Yeah. So anyway, it, w- it was a really important time and lesson, very very frustrating, if I'm honest. But it's not. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful for that time. And anyway. Uh, you know i I guess always
0: first principles trying to understand the basics first starting at the place where you can control things uh the the very basic elements of what you can work with and then when there's other mentors and teachers to to uh meet them where they're coming from meet them to
1: the extent them. that i can rather i'm not like again it's like why are you not talking to me the way i want you to talk to me right. as opposed to hey where are you coming from back to your point yeah but uh and i know that's not entirely specific but you know like if you can focus on that and back to the whole you can't teach a man anything marcello didn't teach me anything but he taught me in so doing like and other and other people like that to uh you know, to find it within, and it's like yeah, I guess something else that, I, that I've heard before is that all learning is self discovery, but all performance is self expression. Mm. And I always thought that Marcelo was a, a brilliant master of letting what's inside out. He would, he was so consistent in his performances, and uh, a lot of times I felt like there was a block there personally, particularly at the end of jujitsu when I was very, very results oriented and I wasn't. I think, I think my focus was, was not ideal. It was definitely not in the, not in the place that I would like it to be. And, uh, whether it would have won more or lost more hard to say, but I know that I would have performed better if I'd have adjusted that. And anyway, uh, that recognizing that again, jujitsu, I think I've said it before, jujitsu studied is a science, but expressed as an art. It doesn't matter if you can articulate what you know how to do. What matters is if you can do what you know how to do. It only matters if you're, you know, I guess if you're teaching in a, in a verbal fashions, whether or not you can articulate it. But, uh, recognizing the difference between learning on, on an intellectual level or conceptual level and being able to, to translate that into the physical. And I guess like, that's been the thing that I feel like fortunate over time in my own academy to be able to kind of fiddle around and learn on my own and practice my students. And, you know, sometimes I struggle to have great training partners. Like when I say great training, I mean, other world-class people to spar, to roll with, but I've gotten a lot more honestly than I ever would have thought out of being able to practice and learn and fail and try and succeed on my own without a, like my own little sandbox, mm-hmm. um, figuring out how I can take an idea and then come up with drills and, and drills to practice it mm-hmm. so that I can actually practice putting it into play. Because again, knowing an idea and then not drilling, well, what's the point? I'll never have it. it will, never, it'll never see the light of day.
0: So in that DVD, in that instruction DVD, sorry. <laughs> it's an online instructional DVD, yeah, it's a DVD. I keep saying DVD though. Nobody oh. has DVDs anymore. Do they it's not? Like VHS? I don't know. Who, who has DVDs? What like Blu-ray? I possess some DVDs. I mean I I've never watched them. What do you use them for? Like uh like a cup like a cup, like a thing you put a drink on? Who I mean it went, went in a pinch, yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> what's that even called uh coaster, coaster. yeah
1: my uh matrix coaster <laughs>
0: the, the matrix coaster zeros and ones okay uh so in that instruction that people should should get i've been watching i'm really enjoying Thank you. um it's i don't even know when it came out recently right yeah, like december or something like that yeah it's uh it's it's part one. You're it already, actually
1: like, ended up being like 18 hours long. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, we're going to chop it in half. And it, it, it when it comes together, the whole thing, I think, I hope people will like it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's uh, even part one is really good. It's actually, yeah, yeah pe- people on Reddit were really excited for part two as well. Really? And you also have a back. Oh, the, the old one. The old one that I, that was really helpful to me to understand some very basic aspects of control from really? the back. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, that clicked with me. There's very few instructionals, there's very few things I've watched that ever clicked with me, and that was definitely it. Uh, It taught me one thing, I don't know, it's, uh, you you drop a lot of sort of bombs, you drop a lot of really interesting details. And it's funny that there's only specific things that really click. Like a lot of it rings true and you kind of take it in and it's like, oh, that's interesting, okay, yeah. But there's certain things that really click, and I, I remember when that first uh, instruction will click with me is like the importance. I, I don't I don't remember anymore like how you communicated it because I've now integrated it's now mine. Ooh. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was more about you just describing upper body control and the importance of the upper body control from the back, mm. uh, and just like the, the there's certain like. The, 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 you d- describe different details on the grips and so on. And as I started trying it, I realized how important upper body control is versus like me, maybe as a blue belt or something, was I thought like you have achieved victory when you got the two hooks in. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like, at least for me, that the hooks were not even for my body type, for my style, for the way I approach things, they were not even important at all. Supplemental for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So they were there for the points, but I can establish a huge amount of control. Uh in fact, the hooks were you you were talking about like illusion of choice. It's it's uh it almost made people panic a lot more when you were like fighting for it or establishing that kind of control. They mm-hmm. weren't a lot less panicked when the hooks weren't involved, mm-hmm. even though they should be a lot more panicked. Anyway, I, I realized a lot of those kinds of things, cool. especially that had to do with judo because So much of Judo on the ground is centered around aggressive, efficient, very fast choking, like Hmm. different kinds of clock chokes and all that kind of stuff.
1: What a brilliant thing that is only going to start to make its way into Jiu-Jitsu coming up, but like the Judo style approach to like clock choking, triangling from the top of the turtle and stuff. So powerful. Yeah.
0: And the there's, there's something about judo that emphasizes, obviously, due to the rules, the urgency. Mm. So there, you only do techniques that go fast. And then the other thing is, which I guess uh, jujitsu emphasizes too, but judo really does, which is um, the transition. So like, while the person's flying in the air is the easiest time. I mean, this is like Ryan Hall type of shit, which is like, <laughs> why not? Put in your submissions or positional control while they're in the air. and they have- <laughs> well, If you could, why yeah. would you not? Right? Yeah. And and so you like, oh, be- well, I
1: don't throw well. Well, learn how to throw
0: yeah. and then do it. And so you should think I mean, in a transition, when they're flying, is the easiest time to put in stuff. And that's when you think about chokes, as you're throwing, you should be thinking about the choke. And then everything becomes a lot easier. You ever see Flavio Canto? Uh, yeah. <sighs> man Brazilian judoka is so cool like with stuff like that yeah Yeah. exactly but but that has to do with the first starting principle of like stop thinking this as a two phase game of uh, standing and then ground start thinking about like the standing and the the standing comes before and the ground comes after, but everything happens in a transition.
1: Well, unless you're attacking. What is, what is the art of war? Like, we all like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, the art of war. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. And then they immediately throw it away and then fight like a freaking barbarian. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, and I'm serious. <laughs> but, uh, you know, how many people quote stuff and then, like, you know, it's like, the, what is it, the family guy joke where they're like, t- you know, quoting Jesus and Jesus walks in. He's like, you're not doing my work. What are you talking about? <laughs> and anyway, uh, <laughs> basically, um, you know, like what? Do you, like the art of war, you know, one of the things, is like the only thing that you can be sure of being successful in attacking is something that's undefended.
0: Yeah.
1: We're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's, you know in a fight, they're, they're defended. Well, are they? There's, yeah. there's moments all the time where I'm yeah. borderline defenseless. Yeah. And if you were to attack at that moment, if you could see it and then seize the moment, if you were capable of both, you should not only expect to be successful, you should be damn sure you're going to be successful. And more, more important than that, you'll be successful. And even if somehow not, you won't be countered. And I guess, like uh, that that's the trick of almost all all like conflicts, right? It's like showing up when the other person's you know taking a nap. And then it's so funny, like we take like a protracted war. It's like, oh, it takes five years, and there's you know lulls, and there's a battle this month, but then there's a couple weeks and another battle. It's like, well, if you just shrink that down, it's the microcosm macrocosm idea. That same thing, that whole war is taking place in five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And there's moments of lulls of person effectively going for a snack, you know, being like, you know, in a horror movie, like, hey, guys, I'm gonna go get a beer from the uh, from around the way. Like, I'm dead for sure.
0: So anyway, um, is there on this particular instructional, if you can convert it to words, uh, you talk about finishing the submission. Is there some interesting insights that you find beautiful or profound about finishing the rear naked choke or just finishing the submissions from the back control? Is there something like, you know, you talk about uh, the squeeze and the crush and all these kinds of principles. Is there something about control, about the process of finishing that uh, you find especially profound about this position?
1: Absolutely. The opposite of one profound truth can be another profound truth. So like, uh, (laughs) it's i i i do did uh, jesus I, say that no i don't i saw, actually it was a guy on tumblr okay. um but uh yeah um <laughs> yeah it was really really cool there's like a like a tree in the background but mm. anyway uh <laughs> um but so let's say like i'll use i'll use examples like first off um i i saw uh, someone finishing a 50 50 heel hook in the ufc one promo it was like some chubby dude he like inside heel hook and another dude and you go huh well, I didn't know they were doing that back then, at least, and whether they were doing it all. How many times does someone do something and then that works? And then we go, okay, cool, versus hey, maybe we should do that all the time. So, anyway, how long did were we all taught to do the seatbelt the way we all do the seatbelt mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu? Like a long time. Why? Works. In fact, it works so well. And it was so it was then the people who used it were so prolific that we went, Well, solved that one. Good to go. All right, no more thinking. And then you go, imagine you were to like the Merkle and Merkle flip all those positions that were showing in the, uh, in the DVD, which is pretty much, or the, whatever the heck it is in know, the digital VD. Um, no, not VD. I don't want that digital, <laughs> digital video, something, but basically, uh, recognizing that doing it on the wrong side is at least as effective. Doesn't mean that the other side wasn't good. There could be something that's the literal borderline opposite of that. And you go, Huh? Well, that's something like, mm-hmm. imagine, like I would say almost all of these things, all the tactics and all the strategies. So I guess that was something that we came to like training in the gym, like a year ago, maybe I've been playing with since. And it's just, it's huge. I'm like, oh wait, so let me get this straight. First off, I can use my strong side seatbelt, my, my right arm over the shoulder and it, all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really helpful because that's a lot better than my left. You can do both sides of my left, but if I had to bet my life on, on being able to finish it, I would want my right arm over. Huh? Everything that's a tactic or a strategy evolved from an idea. Like capitalism's an idea you know, anarchy is an idea and then it becomes, well, what does that all mean? what are the, what are the consequences? What's the fallout of all this? Right. So what if we start with jujitsu, the idea of the guard, right? And we go, well, I mean, when do you, why do you use the guard? No other martial art really has developed the guard mm-hmm. in the same way that jujitsu has. Well, what is the guard? A guard's an, a defensive idea where you're kind of on your back to some extent or another and you're using your legs as a wall between you and, and the other person and the other guy represents danger. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Is it? I mean, it clearly works, at least to a certain extent, but what, if, where do I want to put my legs when I want to get up? Not on the other dude. I'm trying to put them on things on the floor. If I want to generate a ton of power, what's the first thing I do with my feet? I anchor them to the floor, drive for a punch, you name it, move away, jump, dart, you, you name it. So does it mean that that's a terrible idea to be on your back? No, clearly it works. And clearly it, it phrase, has function. But what if the function that we're giving it and, we're, and the how much how much focus we're assigning to it is disproportionate to its effectiveness yeah. maybe what if it's not a good idea i'm not saying it's not a good idea but what if it wasn't that's a foundational idea of jujitsu. and then how much because no one questions that foundation how much innovation is built on top of the idea well of course i want to be my yeah. being on my back is an okay position so now they're innovating but they're innovating within a closed system that they don't even they think they're innovating in, in like in this open space of oh my god it could be anything when in reality it could be anything within this little set yeah, But you don't realize that you're in a set. You don't realize that you're in a box. There would be answers that would become so immediately apparent to you if you were willing to look outside of that. But you're, you'll literally never even look over to your left because you don't even realize the left exists.
0: Do you think there's a lot of places in jiu-jitsu, whether it's back control or generally guards and all the different positions, where there's a lot of space? Like, a, a or- lot a lot to be discovered by questioning the basic assumptions. Yes, Maybe if you can give examples of like back control, like is there something you've discovered yeah, that's like- Merkel
1: mm. versus seatbelt. What's uh, Merkel? with seatbelt? Seatbelt is uh, right arm over the shoulder, left arm under the arm. On I'm on the I'm on the same side as my choking arm. Merkel is just, I do the same thing. I don't even adjust my hands. I walk myself over to the left side. I'm on the opposite side. It's actually a more powerful position.
0: Yeah, for people listening or for people who might not know, jiu-jitsu is uh, seatbelt- is a control. We're talking about when one person is on the back of another person, which is a really dominant position in Jiu-Jitsu. Seatbelt is a, I guess, widely accepted way of holding. Like best your arm. practices, almost best practices. Yeah, and right. it's worked so well. So it's a one arm over, one arm under, and there's a certain side you're supposed to be on. When you're on the back, you know everyone teaches. There's a choking arm. That's the arm that's over, and your body's supposed to be on a certain side relative to that. And then uh, Ryan is describing questioning these like basic assumptions of all which side you're supposed to be on. And
1: let's say that's even just like a mid-level assumption. It's not even a first principles assumption, but it's pretty sure. close to. F- it's getting it's getting there, but let's but let's just say for sake of argument, it yeah. goes a lot deeper. Maybe. Um, I think most of the innovation that I see is not innovation. It's like basically changing the color of a car or polishing like the window a little bit. We're like, hey, you made it, you made it a little bit different. You made it a little bit better. It's like, oh man, what if I did the same guard and then grab the lapel? I'm not saying that's bad, but you're not fundamentally changing anything. I think most of the big seismic shifts that we see in almost anything come from, hey that thing we thought was right was wrong rather than not only is it right it's even writer mm-hmm. and you're like it's not wrong that's not bad but that's you're you're in, it's like oh man let's say for instance i didn't make the triangle better but let's say i made the triangle a little bit better than it was or the, than it was taught um eh, i mean you can call it innovation i don't know man it's not like the person that said hey have you guys ever heard of a triangle before and came up with that we're like that is i feel like that's that's on the list you can do this thing to people are you kidding me can you imagine you invented the the straight right hand You'll be like one punch, man. You can walk around and just just lay low every single person you got into a mm-hmm. fight with because it didn't even occur to them to hit you with their backhand. In a world full of jabbers, you throw your backhand. You're going to kill people. So basically- well, But
0: by the way, I mean, just to pause on that, the, first of all, somebody did invent the triangle probably, right? For sure. It's not a trivial thing once you think- like, No. It, like, how many
1: of these giant things that we all go like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all use that now. Can you imagine you have triangles and heel hooks and rear naked chokes and I don't have those? Mm-hmm. You're on beat, you're borderline. I mean, like, that's, that's why, that's, we all experience, every single one of this, particularly those of us, I mean, when did you first start training, legs? Uh
0: 12, 13 years, well, rest, let's not count wrestling, but 13 years ago with jiu-jitsu. Right on. So let's
1: say, let's say about that time where particularly it was still like kind of, kind of underground-y, yeah.
0: you know? And you're like, hey,
1: we all experienced being like a relative, like a mid-level white belt and being able to easily beat up all our friends yeah, because everyone wrestled other buddies. And it was one of those ones where like, they don't have weapons to end the fight. Mm -hmm. you have weapons to end the fight that's so that's such a crazy you know asymmetric advantage that if you lose it's on you now man like you get like you had the next time it's like i've got this rifle and you have nothing and i decide to put it on my back and then run over and try to karate chop you're like okay next time just make sure you use the rifle bud i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah, i should do that
0: so yeah it's kind of fascinating just i mean everything you're describing is a, there's a f- fascinating tension between like whenever I show people for the first time what a triangle is, just like regular people, uh, it's like they're discovering. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, MMA has changed that, but people ha- haven't watched MMA. That's an interesting move. It doesn't make sense why that would be a choke, and they kind of quickly accept that that's a thing, and they accept the basics without questioning. Wait a minute, what's actually being choked? What? How is it that a shoulder of a person can do the choking? Like I'm I'm not sure I fully question the fundamentals of all of that. Like claim I have either what exactly is the blood supply that's being cut off? Like, what, what is the anatomy and the physiology of all of that? Why does this work? And if you understood all that, what else could we do here? Yeah, what else can we do here? That's the really
1: important thing. But if we, know, if I'm an end user, which almost everyone is of almost anything, I'm serious, where I'm like, I, I think about stuff in my life, the only things I really think about are like martial arts and martial arts strategy and like, I don't know, some other couple, couple other things, but not much. And- Anything else in my life is is borderline unexamined. And I like to think that if I put a lot of effort in something, I, I'd like to think that I could figure at least some things out about it. But I figured out almost nothing about anything in my life because I haven't even looked. And you know, if you're an end user, what are you capable of versus you can literally alter the source code? You are Neo in the frickin' matrix if you can alter the code, and I can't. And it's like we, we think, ah like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But imagine you are a world-class anything or even not even world-class, forget it. Like, a purple belt compared to a white belt or compared to a no-belt might as well be John Jones or Marcelo Garcia. You're going to beat them up comparably bad. So it's uh, that's that actually is a common thing where people can't tell the difference between levels. They're like, oh, man, I've trained with my black belt instructor. How much better could so-and-so be? And like, so much better you're going to have a hard time wrapping your head around it. I remember when I first trained with Marcelo Garcia in 2007, I was a decent purple belt. And of course, he mollywhopped me very gently. And then uh, training him again in 2008. I was definitely better. I won the Gi and Nogi Worlds that year at Purple Belt. So definitely, for the record, I'm definitely not a Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. I won the Purple Belt, but like that's not the same at winning at Black Belt. Um, and uh, tough accomplishment, but not, not in the same thing at all. But anyway, um, like, I was definitely better. He beat me up just the same. I'm like, okay. 2009, I was a lot better. Got a medal at ADCC that time. Won the trials. Crushed everybody. Like, no. Just submitted everybody. Like, bop, 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 bop. Train Marcelo Garcia. It was worse, <laughs> and uh, 2010. train Marcelo Garcia, same, same. So the idea was, uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference, and the, the outcome difference was the same in all of these rounds. I was significantly more experienced and more more adept each time each time that this occurred. But it was like, how many number of times did this person submit you a pass your guard in the round? I'm like, I don't know, probably like let's say five each one, because it's a you know, brief period of time. And let's say it was three on one, six on another. I'm like, whatever, it's it's comparable. It's it's six one half dozen would i be able to easily tell the difference no i would just say i know in concept that he's way better yeah. so much better but there's plenty of other people that could have beaten me just as bad as Marcelo did when i was a purple belt or when i was a brown belt then maybe i would watch Marcelo walk through like their borderline not there so it's neat like if you that's back to kind of what i was talking about about certain people beginning to really like peel back some of what's really special about the martial arts or any activity I presume um is they get to a level of understanding and depth that they're playing with like the almost the reality of that thing mm-hmm. and I'm I'm playing by rules that are not rules I'm not I'm not even one of the to use a matrix analogy I'm not even an agent which is the best version of something playing by the rules yes I'm like one of the regular people or one of the pe- regular people in the, that got out of the matrix so I'm like oh I'm cool but when I fight an agent I lose it's because we're both in the rules, but they just play them to the play them to the bone, and I'm just here. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the agent encounters Neo, and they can do nothing. You're like, why? Because it's operating outside of what the rules are, but not really what the rules are. What they perceive to be the rules are clearly. So, anyway, I guess that's kind of my point about Marcelo or certain other people that are doing things. where you go. That doesn't even seem real. It doesn't seem real to me because I don't understand what's going on. And I guess if we can get down to base assumptions, like if we can constantly strip away, strip away, strip away. Let's say we always thought that turning left was right, was correct. And it turns out that turning right was correct. Change your life.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, what is it, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So you just basically have to rigorously just constantly examine every, just every assumption over and over and over.
1: But doesn't that give your life meaning to come back to the struggle, yeah. to come back to free yeah. will, to come back to what if we could strip all that away? All right, cool. All right, let me just stick the needle in my in my arm and that's that.
0: Yeah. No, I mean that that constant striving for understanding yet another lower layer of the simulation we're living in is is it's something that's actually deeply fulfilling. That I don't know if it's genetically built in, but there's something about that striving to understand that seems to be uh, well, we, deeply human. We, but it's funny.
1: What makes us human? We we don't talk about the soul anymore, man. I, I went to Catholic school as a kid. And whether you buy into all that stuff or not, you're like, what what about the soul of a person, the spirit of a people, the spirit of a nation anywhere, the spirit of humanity? We don't we don't even, we talk about everything like it's this quantifiable thing when maybe certain things are, maybe everything is. But then what happens if there's things that just aren't quantifiable? Man. That that nothing in our understanding can or will ever explain? And that doesn't mean that that should be our assumption. It's for be our assumption that we can explain everything and let's get to the dang bottom, peel, 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 peel. But what if there is actually something that like that you that we need challenge for yeah and we could be looking in the wrong place by going oh where is it in the jeans maybe it is again i'm not saying we're looking the wrong place like i wouldn't know anything i do karate but basically uh not even well um but uh yeah we do karate mediocre just ask raymond daniels or stephen thompson but uh uh, i guess the to come back though you just are you a yellow belt yeah or are you man i actually have have you ever see the seinfeld episode where kramer fights the kids (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I did that at Raymond Daniels School under the, the kids kids one in class as in addition to the uh, the alleyway. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they, they but finished uh, it off. Afterwards. Yeah, exactly. When I was on my last legs, but uh, but yeah, I, I would just maybe. It's funny. I feel like there's something deeply missing from you know from public understanding anymore. That it's almost like the idea that we can figure everything out, which I deeply believe in, but also the possibility that there's some things that we'll never really see and some things we'll never understand, and there's something. You, like you said uniquely human about the human experience that even if i had the power to change i don't want to fuck with it man i don't want to change that thing yeah. oh yeah well uh, wouldn't it be great if we just immediately knew the outcome of everything and you just press this button you're like oh that's gonna happen. what's the point of living life then even so, if you could do it it's it's the you know, you've seen dress well, i'll leave you be sorry i don't know what i'm talking about ian malcolm jurassic park jeff goldblum right life life uh, uh finds, finds a way but we were so concerned with whether or not we could we didn't stop to think whether or not we should
0: yeah. maybe i I, th- I think there's an ex- i mean it's a deeply human thing but it's also a really useful thing to always kind of assume that there's this giant thing that you don't understand so you can forever be striving to understand because that process Gives you meaning, but also keeps making you better. Like, thinking that actually, even just thinking that you can't understand everything will lead you to stop too early. (laughs) So, like, uh, I, I think there's something to whether it's the soul or whether it's like religious stuff, like, assuming that there's this thing that you cannot possibly understand is a really good assumption under which to operate and under which to do this first principles kind of thinking because you can just keep digging and keep digging, and keep digging even when it seems like you're at the bottom. Cause you don't fucking know if you're at the bottom or not. And
1: back to your original, back to one of our, I guess our, our other kind of tangents was that comes back to everyone's a human being, the smartest human being in the history of humanity is so hilariously weak f- like short lived and not intelligent. Keep maybe for yourself, like, bro. I understand. I didn't say no. I'm not saying comparison to me. In comparison to me, everyone is awesome. But that's <laughs> that's why I don't do the goat thing. But basically, uh, <laughs> you know, we're it's just for, for on a cosmic level. Can you imagine? Even if you were a vampire, you're like 900 years old. Like how much you would seem? You would seem like a lowercase G god to people. Yeah, you'd be like, how can you? Have, how could you know so much? How can you have such a long view perspective? It would be insane. So I mean that it seems like we're we're talking about AI now, right? Where we're creating yeah. things that are infinitely smarter than us effectively and live all this time and it's probably going to
0: do what we tell it to do, right? <laughs> no, it's probably well, I hope it keeps us around. Do you by the way think about AI and the existential threats like speaking of gods, are you is this whole technological world we talked about social networks and this increasing power of technology around us? we ourselves are becoming less human because we keep becoming we we keep relying on technology more and more so we're becoming kinds of cyborgs but also there's a future that's quite possible where the technology becomes smarter and more powerful than us humans and you know starts having a life of its own in ways that perhaps we don't imagine as human beings i don't just mean like two-legged robots walking around and being humans, but smarter. I mean, like, an intelligent life that's, that's beyond and uh, fundamentally different than our, our human life. It's, it's infinite, it's- uh, I'm Also, we're creating a new species, yeah? Yeah, a new, a new kind of species, mm. not even just a new species. You're talking about systems, but like, it it lives in the space of information, it lives uh, in a different time scale, in a different scale of all sorts, spatial scale. It uh, operate, like we, speak, we spoke about individuals, it doesn't operate in the sense of a single individual, like a, a embody, it's not embodied, so it's not like a, a thing that walks around and it, like, it looks at stuff, it, it consumes the world. It's able to do much larger scale sensing of the environment around it, all that kind of stuff. I can
1: barely even try to, I can barely even conceive of what that would be like. Are
0: you scared or
1: are you excited? I don't define scared or excited. I feel like I try tend to define them like the same way, where I'm like, I guess I, if I'm
0: kind of like has, when before karaoke, it's the same experience. Uh,
1: well, that's actually kind of my happy place. It's not so much everyone else's. You know, it's uh, everyone else is probably you know heading for the door at that point.
0: But you know, it's uh, while you're doing it or leading up, or leading up to the karaoke session.
1: Well, it depends whether or not uh, whether or not they know it's me. If they know it's me, that's before I start. If they if they're like, "Who's that guy?" Then they're like halfway through the song, they're already you know so throwing their
0: beer. What categories of song or a particular song are we talking about in terms of like your happy place. Oh man, are you kidding me? I mean obviously Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: I mean there's no question because really? to, oh yeah, because I don't have to sing it here. It's that, it's like remember can you, can I beat Kabib? Oh yeah of course. Is it he here? No? Yeah then yeah yeah. All right. If you think well, like is it he here? No then I,
0: yeah. I have a torn I have uh, I have torn feelings about Bohemian Rhapsody because I like the beginning part, the sadness. I like I like the solo, mm. the heartbreak. But the second part, I understand it, but yeah, it's so well, it gets, ridiculous. Well, it, gets,
1: it gets ridiculous.
0: It's so ridiculous. It ruins it for me. But
1: it's more about flexing on people, I think. If you can actually hit, hit that hit that you know the falsetto. Yeah.
0: So it's <laughs> it's not okay. So you appreciate it not for the musical uh, beauty and complexity of the song. You just like to flex on people. Because well, like yeah. for all,
1: yeah, like what's the purpose well, of, no, of anything except for just to let
0: everyone know that you think you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no better way of doing that than karaoke so i'm not sure why i brought karaoke captive audience yeah exactly oh Draw about fear people. and excitement of artificial intelligence i mean like you know me i don't know anything about i just I,
1: I, basically i don't i don't understand the implications of, of any of this i would just say that like radically altering what it means to be human in such an unbelievably short period of time just seems like such a crazy thing and also it's not like we're i, I can't remember who said this to me recently might have been you. I, I can't remember so this is definitely not my idea but uh, we're, we're not even going, Hey, would you like to opt in everyone? Everyone is being opted in, you know, and particularly when you want to talk about like large scale robotics, or large scale AI, like the world is changing. People in Senegal are opting in right now without realizing it. It's not even like, and again, I don't mean to pick on Senegal. It's just this, whatever country comes up to mind, but that's in the developing world. But basically, uh, you know, recognizing that this huge shift is coming We have no idea this is a decent idea. And also something else I've always been considered is, uh, you know, you think about most of the really awful, awful, awful things that have done in history, large-scale slavery, you name it. It didn't – people say that it came from this motivation or that motivation. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Fundamentally, the issue, at least in my mind, and I'm not a historian, power differential. If you if you and I can't contest, we don't contend. It's not like you we fight and you might win, or we fight or even you'll win comfortably. It's you are so unbelievably powerful compared to me that there's nothing I can do to stop you. That seems like a recipe for something really, really not great happening. Because if you think about like uh, you know European countries encountering each other, and I'm just speculating, I don't know anything about history, but let's say countries that can contend with one another mm-hmm. versus countries that can't let's say an alien species alien race shows up, you know, right now we don't want that. I think Stephen Hawking said that that makes, it makes perfect sense to me. We don't want that. If you can come here, we better hope you're nice because Whoa. what are we going to do? What are we going to hope that you invade the water planet? Like they did in uh, you know, one of the, uh, sorry, Lord of the, yeah, War of the world's. So, so I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to try to get across is like, Shocking levels of power differential between groups seem, makes the makes the world ripe for horrific abuse in the event that someone decides to do it. It's like, like, like you imagine an adult hitting a child, like hitting hitting a child. No one in their right mind would ever go like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, because it's such an it's so grossly imbalanced. You're like, this is wrong. This is- but but it's also on the table only because of the gross imbalance. So I, I guess to come back, it's like whether we create AI and it's on a, some crazy level of its own or it's. I'm in charge of it, or I just, it seems like we're, we're creating, you mentioned like a uh, game theory and nuclear war, what prevented nuclear war? I mean, I pre- presumably mutually assured destruction. I mean, hopefully also humanity and and the humanity and the, the reasonable, you know, cooler heads prevailing and going, Hey, I can, I can understand the veil of ignorance. And I, um, I don't go, Oh yeah, let me kill those guys. Cause I can't, I go, this is wrong period. And in concept, this is not an action I should take. But it's also nice and easy to keep me honest if I know that I can't get you without being got myself. Yeah. But what happens when I can get anyone anything and I'm more or less untouchable? Like that seems to me to be like like various times in colonial history, you know what I mean? And what happened? We know what happened.
0: But, so the possibility of really bad things are plentiful, the possibilities. But- are the possibilities of uh, really positive things are plentiful. Like, so like you, what though? I'm not saying wrong. I don't. I just okay, don't even know. So I can give a million examples. So one is just the examples of the parent and the child. Uh, you said uh, there's a power differential there, and we don't like a parent hitting their child. What but about let, not
1: just hitting, like beating? beating, like, beating yeah, like yeah.
0: like great, <laughs> beating their child. How often? percentage wise do you see that happening even though that 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 uh power differential first of all other people's kids let's just put this on the table i love kids but other people's kids can be annoying sometimes sometimes you got to deal out some justice i get it <laughs> <laughs> but we don't practice we don't take advantage of that power differential no. so like there is ethics there's moralities that emerge that allow the power differential to be used for good versus for bad so like you're one of the assumptions with Stephen Hawking or with uh if Russia became much more powerful than America or America much more powerful than Russia in the cold war your assumption that immediately that power differential not your assumption but would express in, itself right would express itself in the in the same way that it was trying to express itself when there was a more Mm. uh, level competition. But it's also possible when the power differential grows, the incentive, the joy, whatever the mechanisms that, made sense when it was at the same level, the, the incentives become very different. That's it's fair. not as fun to destroy the ant colony. You start becoming more the kind of a, a conservationist. Like- One hopes. What, when that's you, an evolved perspective though, yeah? Well, I don't know if it's evolved or not, but it's definitely a possibility. It's unclear to me that something that's many orders of magnitude more powerful than us will want to destroy us. Well, I mean, what did we, what did, I mean, how did how did mass slavery occur? How did you know, like, just big
1: dogs playing with not?
0: Right? I think I think slavery and a, a lot of the atrocities in history happened when the power differential was not as great as as we're talking about with AI potentially. Is that not somehow worse than? <laughs> it, well, it's not obvious to me. It's not obvious that things that are way more powerful. The, uh, that's fair okay so i think i i think you're i guess how do you
1: restrain it though
0: uh there there's a lot of different discussions
1: of how to uh i guess even restrain each other because let's say i go and decide to strike someone's child which i'd like to think i wouldn't do yes i will be promptly i will find myself in front of a judge and so i feel like there's a lot can you imagine how many people used to get murdered just in the woods yeah i mean i would just presume it's a lot you know, and so maybe, I don't think most people are are lunatics like that. But I would just say but that's the point. If you're given though, if you're given to that, your ability to get away with it was was greater in the past because of chance of detection was less. So does, I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. So
0: this is what is called in artificial intelligence AI safety research called value alignment of ensuring as you build the the systems that become smarter and smarter and more powerful and powerful, make sure that their values are aligned. With the entities over which they're becoming powerful, with with humans. So, if you were to talk to an AI that's becoming smarter, at first it's dumber than you, but then it's becoming smarter and smarter. You have to create mechanisms where you both value the same things.
1: I guess one thing I wonder. So, I guess I'm I'm probably not like sharp enough to grasp this, if I'm honest. But I guess like I, I wonder, like uh, I use the chess programs. Yeah. Um, you know, was Deep Blue, Stockfish, and then like Alpha Zero and Alpha Zero teaching itself to beat Stockfish without any help in four hours. Yeah. yeah. Like it becomes orders of magnitude more intelligence than us in effectively an instantaneous period. I guess what I always wondered, like, uh, if you were that much smarter than me,
0: I feel like your ability to manipulate me would be pretty significant, or at yeah. least potentially, no. But but yeah. Manipulation implies that the incentive is to overpower everything around you. Mm. Like there's implied incentives. Okay. If your value is to actually, like, uh, it depends what you want in life. Okay, what you want in your system. Like it's it's not clear. That the goal of an AI system that's all powerful is to destroy all humans.
1: No, I don't think that. I don't think that it is either. I guess what I'm or even it would, enslave but, all humans. I that's fair. I guess what I'm trying to suggest is that something adequately powerful. These these actions are on the table.
0: Yes, they're on the table, and that's scary, and that's why a lot of people are really concerned about it and are working on it. Like I'm what? just trying to make the case mm. for AGI because if they're watching this. He's the one to kill. Uh,
1: no, actually, I was thinking. I was, uh, yeah. I, I I wash
0: toilets like really well. There's, 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 there's. No, I mean that that's the main concern for all the people in the AI safety research. Uh, people talk about AGI is, it's, uh, it's kind of disturbing how little people are working on trying to create mechanisms that keep AI's values aligned with ours. That's completely unshocking. <laughs> yeah, we we humans seem to do only good when, like, you know. You even look at like coronavirus. It's like when, yeah, like, the water has to be leaking from the ceiling. It, you have to be there. has Fine,
1: to be fine. Blood <laughs>
0: everywhere. Fire. Just destruction. We we just seem to ignore completely uh, any writing trouble. all over the wall. Writing all over this the is, wall. This is yeah, fine. I'm sure not. Nothing to see here. We'll be okay. But we do all right, especially in the United States. You figure out, even when it becomes a really serious problem, uh, taking actions last minute, there's something about the innovative spirit that results in a solution last minute, right before the deadline. It works out.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how you did school. Probably a lot better than me. But that's exactly how I did school. I couldn't be, I was no motivation up until like the last, if you're like, we have 22 hours to do the entire semesters of work. Like, Let's do this. Yeah, and you get like nineteen freaking Mountain Dews, and then uh yeah. Well,
0: that's that's why you and I are failures in life because I just <laughs> talked to I mentioned Cal Newport, uh, the uh, with his book uh, Deep Work and so on. He is of the variety of these creatures that basically does everything ahead of time. That's shocking because he this dislikes the he thinks it's unproductive uh, to experience the stress and anxiety of the deadline. Because you're just you're you're not going to be your best performance wise and you're not going to do the best work. So it doesn't make any it's completely irrational mm-hmm. to uh, to a function based on the deadline. You should have a system, a process that gets stuff a little bit of stuff done every day. like you should be and constantly be systematically honest with yourself. If you say, I'm going to get this stuff done today and this week at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you have to then reflect on what you did, what you planned. And uh improve that plan, update it, constantly update it every day, every week, every quarter, whatever those durations are. Uh, as I as I'm listening to this and reading his stuff, it's like, oh the, yeah, I agree with everything. I'm like, Yes, I'm There's clapping. Nothing. But like the reality is, and then I go back and just eat Cheetos and like d- Man. don't do shit until like last minute. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> actually, I but, don't but, eat Cheetos, but yes.
1: But actually, I, like again, not that it'll it's ever okay. matter. Not that it's ever going to matter because he's so shockingly productive and well thought out that whatever I've decided to think about trying to monkey wrench in there is uh is definitely going to be able to deal with. But it's funny that again, because you're a human being, not a god, all of your strengths are you have a corresponding weakness. The less you practice working under the gun, the less comfortable you are working under the gun. The more practice you have working under the gun, the better you get at it. The downside is you're always working under the gun, so you're less productive, or it's like your work quality maybe drops. So it's an interesting thing. It's like it's almost like, hey, I wonder if this. I wonder if uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov has a lot of heart, and I say the answer is almost certainly yes. But you go. Well, he hasn't struggled a bunch. Maybe he doesn't struggle well. And it just so happens that he can also work under the gun really well. He just doesn't like to do it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's an interesting thing. It's like, I guess, what is it? The Aristotle we are, what we repeatedly do. We are all, we're all practicing something all the time. So I guess it's, it's funny. I guess that's a question that I have though. I, w- I would love to ask him. It'd be, it'd be really neat is uh, in t- certain jobs. I mean, obviously you want to have preparation always, always, but certain things have like a degree of like entropy in the system and you go, I need to practice working under the gun. And I'm not saying that's what I need to do because fighting it should be, for the most part, it's a really sterile environment in the grand scheme of things. Like fighting in a cage is very sterile compared to most other things in life, right? But um, dangerous, but sterile. And uh, unless, of course, like, you know, like the other guy, the ref decides to hit you, which would be hilarious. But um, anyway, I guess just going like, okay, so at what value do you get out of adding a degree of, let's say, you could even be planned by someone else, but junk in the system and you just have to work under the gun to make it happen let's say for instance for like police or something like that the situation turns left hard at at some random point in time and that could happen to any number of people so i guess it's interesting things that allow for perfect planning or quasi perfect planning versus things that are inherently unstable Mm -hmm. and then what are the uh what's the psychological fallout of comfort with that because i think a lot of people that are really comfortable under the gun let it happen a lot for all the good and the bad of that,
0: does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense, and it was, I mean, his answer would be that you have to be honest with yourself Mm. if it's valuable for your success to practice being under the gun, and then you should schedule that. Yeah, then he's smart. You should plan that, (laughs) you should systematically, and then, as opposed to doing it half-hastily, because it's, as opposed to letting the environment choose the randomness, like control the randomness to where, like the, you optimize it I it's care.
1: so efficient it's shocking just to yeah. hear about it
0: yeah no he's 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 annoying i mean the same way you are he's annoying in the same way which is like he he drops truth bombs it's like yeah yeah that's so true yeah <laughs> and, we're probably comparably you know doing that yeah no he there's, there's just, <laughs> but he's so he his profession requires that so he's not just like a motivational speaker or whatever he uh He's a, 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 a computer science theoretical computer scientist, mm-hmm. and he needs the long hours in the day of doing like serious math. So it's mostly math proofs, hmm. and for that you have to sit and think really deeply. It's like really hard work compared to like uh, what most people do. Like even what I, I mean, what I do, like programming, is way easier than rigorous math proofs because you have to basically you have this machine and you have to uh, your brain to churn out logic in a focused way while visualizing a bunch of things and holding that in your brain and holding that for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, hopefully several hours. And you're not just like doing homework, you're doing totally novel stuff. So like stuff that nobody's ever done before. So you keep running up against the wall of like, fuck, this is a dead end. Oh no, wait, is this a dead end? And like that whole frustration that's serious mental work that's like incredibly difficult mental work so he knows what he's talking about that's and it's
1: amazing but like you said he's like this seems like the standard for the quality of work that he needs is so high so high that almost anything less than this level of systematization and organization would preclude it right so he
0: can't afford the kind of bullshit that i don't know about you but that certainly i do which is like last deadline kind of stuff because you can't do that kind of work uh, last minute on right. deadline kind of stuff. So my my question for That's him so cool. in general is like and for you and I is like well here's these negative patterns that we do of like doing shit last minute and so on. Is this just who we are now? Or are there some... I, I don't think to, I'm
1: really big into uh, free will. You know, I was thinking that it's mostly predestination. Predestination. At least in this regard.
0: It's, it's the same with, like, communism. Like, as long as it fits my... Uh, whatever is the lazy thing to do, I'll I'll just not believe in free will. Uh, yeah, tonight. I'm not a communist. I'm an
1: opportunist.
0: I'm an opportunistic communist. <laughs> and capitalist. I just do whatever. Whatever is cool at the time. Exactly. Uh, let me ask you... Um, to examine some fundamental principles of a particular thing that Joe Rogan brought up to me several times online and offline, okay, which is that he thinks that the tie that I wear is something that makes me uh, vulnerable to attack, that you should be, the the reason he doesn't wear a tie is because he can get choked very easily with a tie. It's a big concern. Okay, my contention, and by the way, he wore a suit last time, too. Uh, he didn't wear it on the podcast. He wore it for dinner later.
1: Yeah, I wore a suit the other day, and I, I had uh, no socks on. I didn't realize.
0: Yeah. You're supposed to wear socks? Yeah, supposed- that's my understanding. Why'd you wear a suit? Did you go to court again? <laughs> no,
1: no. Not at No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I don't know. I just wanted to play. I wanted to pretend I was an adult for a day.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, so my, my contention is like the jacket. everything is more dangerous than a tie that's kind of where I was going with that that's kind
1: of where yeah it was was my first thought too like if once the tie becomes an issue like I feel like everything
0: else is already an issue it's already an issue yeah because the tie to me now without like messing with it now is is to me has some of the similar problems that a belt does so like for example I don't know about you maybe you can correct me but I'm not sure you can use the belt as tied uh you know, I know there's some kind of um, guards you can probably utilize the belt with, but the belt, sorry, when it's tied around the waist. mean, you're talking about a belt belt or a gi belt? Sorry, a gi belt. Okay. Sorry, gi belt, importantly, okay. gi belt. It's, it's not that great of a thing to use in most cases, I would say, because it slides. Yep, that's there's, true. There, it doesn't, you can probably invent a few interesting Ways to use it as leverage, as control, and so on. But there's just so many more things around that are better, the E-belt, better that shoot better. Yeah. And so for me, the tie. What people don't realize.
1: Are we trying to sell a DVD here and have some some widgets and bells and whistles? Because yeah. in that case, the belt is a really important part of what we do. And I would really encourage you guys to look into it. Yeah. Uh, if if we're trying to actually like learn something, I'd say like you said, we're surrounded by better options.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not obvious to me that the belt maybe there's actually undiscovered things about using the belt. You know, I think people have used like like putting a foot inside the belt somehow, ins- inside the gi belt. There's some- well, This is a no punches gi grappling situation, yes? Right. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. It's already fairly contrived, right? But with punches too, like is there, okay, let's let's talk about a street fight with a belt that's like a jeans belt, like a belt, clothing belt. Okay, so I get, get to do? take it off and whip them in the face with the buckle?
1: How, how serious is this Street Fighter? We talking no, like that? and in Oklahoma? no, one hundred percent serious. Beat up,
0: or are we talking like no, a, like oh, okay. death? Like one of you has to die. Oh yikes! Whoa. Okay. Oh, you, you, you ever you, like I, I, I'm in this situation all the time. I okay. <laughs> And there's a reason I'm still here. I had no. something.
1: <laughs> I had somebody try to fight me in the Starbucks. I fight the other day. kids.
0: We we're talking about power differential. Yeah. I hey, just I, beat up kids all hey, the time. Just
1: pick the easy Ws. You <laughs> got to get the easy Ws. You want the hard ones? I'm
0: undefeated. Come around the playground. Watch what happens. No, like to the to the death. What is their clothing that's useful? You know, from my perspective, you mean like for, my, for your use or their use, uh, both. Oh. For my use, their use. No, like I like how you want to take the belt off and use the buckle to hit them with. But first of all, how are you going to take off the like the belt? Well, there's a lot actually, of effort involved in unclothing. Un-
1: well, what I was figuring <laughs> was when they started to see me take my pants off in the fight, they were like, what? They're going to pause yeah, and rethink the situation for a second. Yes. And I'm making dead eye contact, obviously. <laughs> so, <going on>. uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nodding. And then, you know, by yes. the time they realize you took a belt off until you could whip them with it, yeah. you actually, you're already one, possibly two steps ahead.
0: Okay. So, fine. Let's not talk about your own clothing. Let's talk about their clothing. Okay. I'll take off their belt and hit them with it. No, but that's that's much harder. Right, no do. question. But if you can do it while, while maintaining, I got, no. I just <laughs> like how do they come to
1: this? <laughs>
0: there's al- but the point is there's alternatives that are perhaps more effective. Yeah, in, in my perspective, this might be clueless. There's almost no clothing that's more effective than almost assuming the situation is no gi grappling. Like I feel like clothing, particularly when you start to add hitting.
1: Like every single the, time I exactly. start grabbing your clothes, if you start you start hitting, and not like nothing could work. But most of the time, you're like, "Why am I not using my arms for something better than what I'm doing them right now?"
0: Right. Yeah. It's it's very difficult for me to. I don't know in terms of just distance. I can't imagine a case of different distances, even like situations where. Let's not talk about like, like a situation where you haven't both yet agreed that a fight is happening. Mm-hmm. Solid like,
1: clothing's nice if they have it on then. Solid clothing. Oh yeah, like something like a good jacket, because you can snatch somebody on their face. Snatch, snatch down. Yeah, you know, it's like if you if you took my like you know like you snap
0: down in judo, like how easy it is to snap down a beginner. Yeah, it's like, so I I agree with you actually. A tie in that sense might be a really effective way to snap down. So like the snap down is really powerful to change the like disorient the situation and uh, give you a lot of different opportunities for. You know, taking their back, taking them down,
1: uh, the- doing hilarious stuff like snapping them down with their tie into your knee, and then when they come back up doing this, and
0: you're already. So yeah, in that sense, I agree, but not as a choking mechanism. Because the if concern anything- Joe had is mm-hmm. choke. I and- think you probably choke me with your tie more easily than I could choke you with your tie. Probably.
1: I'm serious. Because like, it's- if you get, you can get, like, you get my back and you can put it around somebody's neck. You know, like, uh, like, like, you ever see a Die Hard? Yeah. Yeah. You remember when when the, the super uh, Swedish looking blonde dude or whatever was was trying to choke Bruce Willis with the uh, with the chain, yeah, and then he ended up getting choked himself with the chain, if I recall this properly. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. Know, I don't, like I don't feel like I feel like if I start grabbing your tie, you have too many other great options. I mean, I do like the snap on that. You actually made me realize. This. No, I think you yeah good there. What's that? I think you're on the right path with it. With a snap down, yeah. Particularly if you start with like one of these, like you know, like like you like you poke your finger in my chest and then snap down real quick.
0: Oh yeah, because it, it it also socially speaking, it's not a threatening thing to, to you know to to reach for the tie. Partic- it's not particularly like a business setting, you know. What I mean, they're never see it coming. Yeah, because I was thinking choke, but yeah. it's not. It, it's a really good leverage point because like grabbing a jacket, the jacket will slide if you try to snap down. Yeah. You really have to get a hold, like a really good hold. Well, that's a good point because it's around the
1: back of the neck. But what if it's clip on? How much of a jackass would you look like? You feel like, and then they just yeah a sticky one. But you ever see the uh Japanese politician? Or I think it was Japan. The um, judo throw. Yeah, it was the guy. Was so all, he was so calm and cool. Had like it, it was every. It was beautiful technique. Yeah. The the level of uh of actually the throw was even gentle.
0: Yeah. But uh yeah, it was perfect. It's amazing. Well executed. Yeah. yeah. More more of our politicians just toss the shit out of each
1: yeah, other. Yeah. We need more Teddy Roosevelts. Exactly. I like our politicians like talking about fighting when it's clear that none
0: of them have even it would ever have been in a fight ever. Yeah. Somebody was saying Teddy Roosevelt is interesting. I didn't realize this, is he's one of the greatest presidents this country's had. And he was one of the greatest presidents, even though he faced no crisis whatsoever. He literally willed himself, like nothing happened during his presidency. He's just a bad motherfucker who made really great speeches. Yeah. So he, like, you know, uh, this made me realize. I was just talking to a historian that, like, most of the people who we think are great need also a good crisis that they that reveal their greatness. But Muhammad Ali, right? This Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I mean, in sports, but uh, but you know. you know what I mean? Like the
1: circumstances. What is greatness? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you have to. It's not just your capacity. It's what you what you face. Right. It's the quality of opposition, circumstance, what you overcome.
0: So I guess what you're saying is Joe Rogan is wrong about the Thai thing.
1: You know, I don't want to go so far as saying yeah. he's wrong. I, you know, the man's not here to defend himself.
0: Maybe he has some things that I'm not
1: understanding. I'm willing No, to get he them.
0: has not deeply thought to this. This is my main criticism of Joe. He's not deeply thought to this. And the MMA journalist will be like, uh, Ryan Hall says Joe Rogan is wrong. And hates ties. And hates ties. They'll integrate Hitler back in there somehow. Oh, nice, nice. What's, uh, you're talking about greatness and greatness requiring a difficult moment in time can you like reflect back and think what are some of the hardest, if not the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life?
1: Well, you know, I think I've had a, had a bunch of things, you know, I've had a lot of things not go my way. Um, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've had a lot of things go my way also. Um, but, uh, leaving, leaving Team Lord Urban in 2008, which I firmly believe was the right thing to do, um, is one of the, uh, um uh, that was very difficult at the time not uh, like not a difficult choice but it was uh because of why i was leaving
0: but um Just psychologically first of all loss so, in general leaving yeah, a team a family of all kinds doesn't matter what the circumstances i didn't lose any friends but i lost a lot of people i
1: thought were my friends and i uh i lost training i lost i'd also had like a really serious my wrist only does that so like uh I had a really serious uh, wrist surgery like that. I didn't know if I was going to be able to compete anymore after that. I just got my brown belt. That was a, it, it was a tough time, like uh, psychologically, physically, everything. But I was very, very motivated to do my best and to to push through it and to uh, you know, just to carry on in a positive direction, no matter what, in a different direction. And uh, were you lonely? You know, the, this is the thing about family, even if it's an abusive family, leaving, it's tough. People are complicated. And even people that i that i don't think very well of, that I think on the whole i don't think very well of it's it's unfair to paint them with one brush um, you know obviously there's greater and and lesser examples of that, like the person we discussed last time who's an infinitely you know beyond almost anyone that we could ever imagine meeting in our own personal lives, yeah yeah. <laughs> bloody elbow <laughs> yeah
0: in terms of forgiveness and hate i mean do you do you have hate in your heart for for people in your past no for, for that process
1: no i mean there were definitely times when i've been no- negatively motivated to prove people wrong or to accomplish things in spite and i think that some of that is valuable if i'd be lying if i felt differently i think particularly uh I do really well in conflict. Um, I'm useless without the usual deadline thing. I'm useless. Yeah. I'm useless. I'm yeah, I do. I'm useless. without an antagonist. I like fighting. I like competition. I like being pushed. I like feeling like if I don't play well, I'm going to get hurt. I have no choice, but to play well or play with everything I got at the very least. And I guess I would say though, is, uh, you know, as I've gotten, um, you know, more time and, you know, lived a little bit longer, you see, you know various situations for, uh, you know, you know, w- with increased, uh, increased color, I guess I would say increased clarity, and uh, you know there are a lot of lessons to be learned even from from times in history or bad experiences we have, and the question is, can we take those lessons and move forward? And that's again what I think we're seeing in sometimes socially right now, we're forgetting important lessons of the past, and that's not good not saying, hey, I don't get why we why we could be going in this direction or that. I understand entirely. But hey, let's not forget the lessons so we don't have to learn them again because that doesn't really serve anybody. And anyway, I guess I would say I'm thankful for all of the experiences, difficult and otherwise, mostly difficult. Honestly, most of the times I remember, I'm thankful for every loss I've ever had, particularly the tough ones. I'm thankful for uh you know, for all the relationships. Many people have taught me many things and continue to teach me many things, some of whom are still some of my closest friends, some of whom are people I really don't get along with at all. And some of whom are people I think really poorly of. Oh, there's not many of that last group. What I guess I would say is uh, there's there's been a lot of things and, and opportunities to learn and uh you know throughout that and also it's not as if i've never done made any mistakes myself now again there, there are magnitude differences i like to think and i can definitely say that none of the mistakes that i've ever made have been mistakes of intention you know i've screwed up a lot of things in my life but i can confidently and and easily say that i've never had ill intent towards people as i've done it so you sit there and like man this is the right thing it's the right thing and sometimes i've been wrong but uh you know, you never sit out with malicious intent. And I think that when I find that I think people do things differently, when I do think that there's malicious intent, I have a difficult time forgiving that.
0: How does love win over hate, Ryan Hall, in this world? We talked about social media. We talk about forgiveness of uh, some of the more complicated people in your past. Uh, if we scale that to the entire world before the AI destroys us, mm. And though, though the human race is lost to history, how do you think love wins over hate?
1: Well, I'd like to preface this by saying I tried to make pancakes the other day. Yes, didn't work. But I'm happy to comment on this. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, uh, wow, I I think like I think most of the times that that I can think of that I've struggled, you know, it's uh, and can and the times that I've read about it is. Being unable to see the humanity in other people, and also even in sometimes our enemies and the people that have done awful things. And you go, What would allow people to do this, that, or the other? And that doesn't forgive what they've done, depending upon, you know, some things are forgivable, some things are less so. But you want to understand why. It's like, to our knowledge, demons don't populate our world, neither do like literal angels walking around being actually perfect. A lot of times the things that it's I find it deeply amusing watching, you know, people hoisted by their own batard on Twitter, even though it's gross and it's really unproductive, it's actually like equal parts amusing and like awful because you're not you're not happy that someone's being raked over the coals, particularly unjustifiably. But it is funny when it's the exact same thing. They were raking others over the coals for not like a week or two prior. And that's happened repeatedly and will continue to happen. And I guess I would say, as you mentioned, you know, a uh, prior, you know, like a recognition of the humanity of others of that all of us make mistakes, that it's difficult to understand intention. I've had arguments with close friends of mine over text message where both of us ended up super pissed because we were completely misreading what the tone, the intention of what the other person was doing. And even if I was reading it correctly which I wasn't, it's so easy to, uh, ascribe the most negative possible, you know, the least charitable assessment of what they're doing. And I think that that's such a dangerous way to live your life. And it's also just a fruitless way to live your life. You know, it's one thing to go, Hey, why did you do that? I was pissed. Did you, what did you do? You just, you did that to make yourself feel better. I'm like, you're damn right. I did. And have I done that plenty of times in my life? Yeah, I would lie if I said that I didn't. You know, uh, why, did, why did you punch that guy in the face? He was going crazy at me and hit me and I asked him to stop and then I gave a warning and then I'd put him on his ass. I'm like, no, I'm not sorry. But then looking back now with years to sit on, I'm like, do I understand why I did what I did? Absolutely. Would I like to respond differently now? Yeah, I would. You know, it, and it doesn't mean that I think plenty of things that people do are understandable. Doesn't mean understandable. Doesn't mean correct. Understandable doesn't mean that you go, oh yeah, that's great. You go, I, I could, I could see someone doing such a thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess just record, trying to understand and see the humanity in others. Because if I can't see the humanity in others, how can I see it in myself? And also, you know, how am I meant to interact with everyone? As, as you said, whether you know, even if we're a society of individuals, for at least for the time being, hopefully, you know, in perpetuity, we, we still come together as a whole. And watching. It's weird, like you said, It's it's if I only ask why once, I start with, stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours. Leave me the fuck alone. You're like, okay, that's fine, Ryan, but that's easy for you to say living in a society that doesn't actually function like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit cheap. But if I recognize that that's step one is I don't hurt you and you don't hurt me, but then we go, well, but how can I help you? That's step two. And then it goes way beyond that and a lot further than I've thought about it. But I guess what I would just say is, again, recognition of the humanity in you know, others And that we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses. And you can never really be sure where the other person's coming from. But if we approach things charitably, as charitably as as we would hope others would approach us, I think we'll do a lot better. And I guess one thing that I read that I liked that I thought was accurate and unfortunately disappointing was everyone is a great, uh, you know, jury or read there, I'm sorry, a great lawyer for themselves and a judge for others. And I think that's a terrible way to live life, even if it's an understandable one.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I I think probably flipping that is the right way to live. Yeah. Being uh, being constantly judgmental of yourself and uh defender of others. And that results ultimately in an interaction that de-escalates versus escalates. Right. Yeah. And you can you can we can all live in a world like that. And sometimes
1: you're like, hey man, people that deserve punishment won't get it. Like, okay, hey, but what do they say? Better to have, you know, 10 guilty people go free than one innocent person, you know, burn. And ultimately, that is, I think that is a better world than the other way around.
0: And if all else fails, uh, join the team that builds the AI that kills all humans. Yeah, obviously. I mean, if you have to be on a team, pick the winning team. What? That's been the... Uh, that's that's, that's the, my uh, hiring pitch,
1: actually. it's a good hiring pitch. <laughs> you still taking resumes? <laughs> you want to be on the team that doesn't die during the great apocalypse. Not immediately. You want to be on the one that that's uh, you know eventually long-suffering and stepped on, right?
0: Yeah. Life is suffering, Ryan Hall. This was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you. I could probably talk to you for many more hours. I hope I do as well. Ryan, I love you, buddy. This was a great conversation. Thanks for talking today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Ryan Hall. And thank you to our sponsors, Indeed Hiring Website, Audible Audiobooks, ExpressVPN, and Element Electrolyte Drink. Click the sponsor links to get a discount and to support this podcast. And now, let me leave you with some words from Frank Herbert in Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain.